0: Spot activated. It's the ITC. In this corner with Brian Campbell, returns with the Pro Wrestling Edition as we hook the leg for the perfect plex dose of that one and only performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, the king of the long intro, is in fact the voice that you hear. And like you, dear listener, I often wonder whether our prodigal podcast son, well dressed Nick Costos, will ever return. His face adorns the back of so many Milk of Marknesia cartons these days, and yet the handsome one still can't find the time to slip on those Ferragamo shoes and inject you with that Greek
1: sauce. And let me be frank, I got that hot sauce. Hey-oh,
0: a little consensual sauce there. No, the passionate man of North America will not be joining us this week to recap the week that was in WWE. Just two weeks out from SummerSlam, the biggest party of the summer, folks. He won't be here either to share his feels as we enter the final weekend of the G1 Climax 28 tournament from NJPW and mark out for just how real that revolution actually is. But fear not, we got the Silver King, you got your boy BC, and SK has acquired the services of a worthy, worthy replacement. Oh, yeah, you heard that right. Brother Love, a.k.a. the great Bruce Pritchard stops by to get us something to podcast with, if you will, and share the inside story behind so many big moments in WWE over the past three decades, including the first SummerSlam 30 years ago in the same city of New York. But before your boy BC can grace you with the audio gold that this show has become to be known for, first need to remind you to do your part in the great war that is wrestling podcasting. If you hear something today on the show that you like, if you see
2: something, say something, please
0: head on over to Apple podcasts. We're talking about that five star review. It is all about the five. You already know that five time. Five time. Yep, yep, Booker T. We already got that. That's what we're talking about. Spread the love and move it on forward. But now that all of that business is behind me, there's this man itching to join the show. Let me bring in my raw-loving co-host. Oh, yeah. Say
1: hello
0: to the bad guy.
2: Wow, he's the
0: man who wouldn't recognize a revolution if it was sending him nudes via DM slide. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein.
2: Hey, now, if it was sending me nudes, trust me, I'd be all in on the revolution. Uh, I like how... We get into the show here. Obviously, we're 15 minutes into the show already after that intro, and I'm playing third string to a guy that hasn't been here in months. How is that possible? I
0: think that was our final cry out to him. It said, you know, you're part of the family. We used to say your name a lot here. We used to tell the the people that, hey, don't fear. We know you want to hear Nick's take on the G one this year. He he'll be here. Guess what? He never showed up. So he he might he might be dead to us. It it might it might be time to Nick for Nick to heed his own words. Take the L
1: and admit you're wrong
2: because you sound ridiculous. Well, yeah. Well, you don't sound anything, Nick, because you're not here. All right, all right, brother. You see, I saw someone on Twitter compared him to Lesnar, which is kind of good. The difference: Lesnar showed up.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. You're going, you're right? going, you're going there. Well, well, you know, we
2: may have well, I got, to, I, listen, I got to play the Roman Reigns role and try to coax this guy out of, uh, you know, his, his, uh, whatever zone he's in of, of CBS sports HQ. Look, Nick works extremely hard. He's, it's not like he's not on the podcast cause he's not busy the guys. One of the business people I know. Um, but look, are you going to want to watch? You know, a dozen more Yankees extra inning baseball games, or do you want to talk some wrestling with wow. your boy BC and the Silver? Or maybe game, right? we just, you know, push,
0: maybe we just write them out of the will and start taking auditions from our, you know, beloved, passionate listeners to fill that chair, you know, because Adam, talk about the challenge of finding great talent and how you go about it. These days, it just doesn't work. You can't just put out a tweet at the In This Corner account and suddenly get people ready to sign up that are credible to take the roles. It's not good, it's not efficient. Luckily, though, Adam, ZipRecruiter knew how. They knew there was a smarter way. They built this platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with that right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These revolu these invitations... I jumped the word there on revolution, have gone as far as revolutionizing how you find your next hire. I'm always talking about the the great war that is the indie revolution. How about the ZipRecruiter revolution? 80% of employers who posted a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And no, ZipRecruiter does not stop there. Like Nikastos, they work all night long and spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. Adam, the listeners need to know that there are right candidates out there. Maybe one of them is the right candidate for this show, but it's ZipRecruiter, how you find them.
2: It is, and the great thing about ZipRecruiter is it works for businesses of all sizes. It helps you fill your hiring needs, and right now, the listeners of In This Corner can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. All you need to do is go over to ZipRecruiter.com slash corner. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash corner. And in case you're hard of hearing, one more time, (gasps) ZipRecruiter.com slash corner. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, Adam,
0: without any further ado on business related items, it's, it's about that time to get right into it. We are in SummerSlam season. It's hot and heavy. It's certainly not as good as it was last summer. But there's some things this week that kept even this BC guy interested. Let's kick
2: it off with the main event this is the main event So before we even get into the first main event topic I need that siren from you right now for for Raw wow I didn't even have this prepared because I didn't think it was
0: possible these days that Raw could make us you know feel like
2: That's the feel spot siren for me and you know we'll get into it more in depth over the next few minutes Raw was terrible Monday night but I think one of the greatest moments in WWE history. Oh, don't do, don't do Acostos. Don't and do certainly it. the best moment of 2018 in WWE went down Monday night on Raw when Paul Heyman proved why he is the master, the maestro of delivering promos and handling interview segments with what he did Monday night in that segment with Renee discussing his breakup that's not quite a breakup with Brock Lesnar. Tell me that you feel differently. I
0: almost didn't want you to, to pull Acostos and say that Don Callis just gave you the greatest call in wrestling history. Uh, it was fantastic. I said one of.
2: It's one of the greatest moments. I don't know if it's one of the greatest
0: moments in Paul Heyman's career, but it's fantastic. It's one of those that you just add to his long list of, his long resume of stuff. I mean he just rescues a feud that saved for a few moments and Brock returning last week was certainly big. This, This just gets your interest so high up in Lesnar Reigns for where it could be going and it it's all foundational on Heyman's performance. We've seen him do the unshaven thing before, right? I think it was last year with in the Samoa Joe Paul uh, Brock Lesnar build up, but this this actually was next level from that. All right, Adam, fine. It's one of the greatest things we've ever <laughs> seen of all time. I just don't know if eh, whatever. Well, okay, is it the best okay, thing me, we've let seen let this me, year? Let me clarify. It's been a bad but year we... for RAW. Is there something that's that it's competing with for best thing we've seen this year?
2: Well, before you get before you continue, let me clarify my statement here. I'm talking about from an interview promo segment. Okay. Obviously there's matches that are five-star WWE classic matches, and there's feuds that the mega powers explode, that it wasn't better than those things, okay? But my point is, in an isolated dude talking or in an interview segment like that, that's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen from someone talking on a microphone on WWE TV. And I think when you look at Paul Heyman's career, that's almost like the crown on top of this mountain of greatness that he's built, that he's able to deliver that type of promo on a feud that I don't want to say no one cares about it, but people really don't care as much as they should for a main event feud they've been building for three years. And what he did is he turned it around in two and a half minutes. And BC, I know you have an extra clip as well. I think you have a clip, but there's even more that hit the cutting room floor that they put on social media that if you want to talk about like, Actually, putting some sugar on top and and bruleeing it, right, caramelizing it. It's what they did on social media with Paul Heyman afterwards. Wow, Chef, Chef Silver King, there giving out the uh,
0: giving out the recipe. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe we'll go back afterwards. Uh, sound editor, if you're listening, remove the part where BC tried to stop the Silver King from saying that this was one of Heyman's greatest moments. It was amazing. Like he did the sweating, unshaven look, great with the Samoa Joe thing. This was the tears, and that was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like 5,000 other people tweeted out, you know, give him the Emmy award, give him the Oscar. I mean, it was really it was really friggin' fantastic. And you you tease that little extra. And I think we got to say, I'll I'll play it in a second, but that interview he did with Renee Young, there was another minute on the end of it or so that for whatever reason they didn't play on raw, they only played as a web exclusive. It turns the storyline really into a new direction, which has me asking, why? Why do we not see that on Raw? If it's because they're smart and they're just constantly adding a little more sprinkle of this and that, then that's great. And they wanted us maybe to exit Monday with a certain feeling. But what we saw on Monday was just – it's just – I hate to use the word raw to talk about raw, but it's raw, pure emotion. And it felt real. And he's spelling out how much Brock means to him in this relationship. and means to his family and their kids play together. It's all brilliant. Renee, by the way, you got to give her credit because not everybody does that role really well. And sometimes they add nothing. Sometimes they take away. She added a lot. Now let's get to that final minute, which includes the end of what we did here on raw. Plus this extra.
2: SummerSlam, this is my final question to you. Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship? Who's going to walk away the winner?
0: I've known Brock Lesnar for 16 years. I've been through every up and down that he has accomplished and that he has suffered, and I've... Seeing Brock Lesnar like this... I've never seen him more driven. I've never seen him more focused. And I know this isn't a word we like to use around here. I've never seen him
1: more violent. Against this Brock Lesnar? Roman Reigns doesn't stand a chance. You were just going to say
2: something. Unless what? Thank
1: you, thank you, thank you. Paul, unless what, though?
0: Unless Roman Reigns says what? Oh, man. That was, I mean, just, wow. Wow. The- Hook the leg. Yeah, that is, that is, that, that is. You can put that on top of Paul Heyman's career. Uh, what you didn't see there was Heyman taking off his microphone, walking out, but doing so with this certain smugness that really could go two different ways because he had this the crying, sad look to begin with. And Adam, I think the, the unless that he cut in half either means this is a little bit of an act and he's got a nefarious secret up his sleeve that involves him and Brock still working together, or the unless means unless he turns on Brock with Roman Reigns. And either way, This just made that main event must see have to see, but not because of the normal ways to see Brock do 16 suplexes and Germans and all this. Somebody go through a table and through a wall, but to see a story being told. And Adam, historically, WrestleMania is the big event, the Super Bowl, but SummerSlam is the mark fan Super Bowl. It's the mark fan main event like the conference championship games in the NFL And it's because of the story. They brought it back together. This was a train wreck that they put back on the tracks. And it's only because of your guy, Paul Heyman. Wow! It's
2: my guy, your guy, everyone's guy. We're Paul Heyman guys. And wrestling fans, I think, are Paul Heyman guys and girls. Um, So what does it mean?
0: Where is it going? What does it in less mean, Adam? And why did we not see that on Monday?
2: So the the pessimist in me, okay, because we have to start with (laughs) – not being able to trust WWE creative, right? So the pessimist in me says it's a swerve, and it's literally just something they threw in, and there's a reason they didn't put it on TV. And it's for us to think, you know, he'll be there on the sideline, not the sideline, ringside, um, and fame like he's going to help let, uh, Reigns at some point, and then he actually doesn't, and he helps Brock, and Brock wins. Or, the, you know, the optimist, which you don't get a lot from the Silver King, Um, says that, yeah, maybe something will happen and maybe we get what we want and he does turn on Brock and turns for Reigns. But maybe, as you said last week, I think it was, maybe it's not a heel turn. Maybe they've decided that the way to get Roman over as face is with a face Paul Heyman. And it's not a bad idea. I mean, think about it. Even if fans boo the marriage of these two, Heyman can turn it around because that's how skilled he is on the mic. It may not be the first night, but maybe it takes two weeks and he gets them on their side. Or maybe fans just accept it because they love Heyman. They know they're going to get Heyman because there's never going to be an episode of Raw without Reigns, right? So you're going to get him every week, especially if he's the champion. So maybe it just rectifies all the ills and and it just brings all of this together and makes the last few months worth it. But for us to trust that, that's suspending our – Uh, the mindset that we've conjured over the last few months and over the last couple of years, really, about WWE to not trust anything that they're doing with Reigns.
0: Yeah, the cool thing, though, is both scenarios you just laid out, if done the right way, would absolutely work, and it would make us forget about the booing at WrestleMania. I think it really would, because you would think, in theory, there's no way Brock could leave with the belt, and we would not boo it, right? But the way that you just laid it out, with Paul Heyman having this nefarious you know, card up his sleeve the whole time. And just like it was all an act at the feet of angle, it's still all an act because he's a great heel. And Brock Lesnar is that disastrously despicable that it kind of fits in character. And guess what? Not only is he going to keep the belt, he's going to leave to go train for the UFC. And you're not going to see that belt for six months. And you're going to hate Brock even more. And it's going to really make it big when Roman goes over him at WrestleMania next year. As much as that is sort of troll booking, There's some juice in there based on what Paul's been doing. And then the flip side, of course, with, you know, babyface Paul. This, yeah, hey, I don't know. This is where I question WWE booking these days. I'd like to believe they had this grand plan all along, and it just so happens that there were certain parts of the journey where there was nothing new introduced, and we panicked, and we booed, and we whatever. I don't give them that much credit. I have to go the other way and say that, Maybe they didn't have a plan or maybe the plan they had stunk and all the booze and all the negativity made them go, we're going to have to do something here. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, but either way I hung through it. I almost quit WWE many times in the last month or two. But I'm staying on for SummerSlam. Thank you.
2: Oh, first of all, you quit at eight thirty. You quit at nine. You quit at nine thirty on Monday night. You quit at ten. Yeah, I'm, right before this thing came I'm out. About ready you to quit walk four off. times on Monday. You're like, I'm done watching Raw. I'm not doing the recaps anymore for CBS Sports. I'm done. And then we got Paul Heyman and we got Ronda Rousey. Okay, and you're like, hey, maybe, I'm, maybe I'll stick around for a little bit longer. So uh, the only other option, and we haven't really discussed this because we have separately talked about someone cashing in money in the bank after the match. We have not considered. What if Paul Heyman sides with Braun Strowman? Oh, wow. And that is the, well, you know, what about that? That's oh, the, my what God, if. that is such and, a good avenue to go. And, and, and therefore, win or lose on Reigns's part, he still has Braun Strowman in the back ready to cash in. Now, if Brock does win, which, again, if, if Brock beats Reigns clean— Disaster for WWE fans. <laughs> it can't get worse than that. Okay, <laughs> I, I maintain that there's no way Brock wins clean over Reigns, oh, even Vince if someone cashes in and we're okay. Reigns has to beat him. But no matter what happens, he could have Braun back there saying, "I'm going to hitch my wagon to the monster instead of the beast." Turn Braun heel, and then you, or even face, and, and you have that thing going as you notice well. The so, constant, the common denominator
0: here. To make it all worth it is Paul Heyman because they've overbuilt the idea that Strowman can cash in. Like the second he was in the Money in the Bank match, we're like, "Why is he in that match?" The second he wins right. it, we're like, "Okay, he's going to cash in to, to so that people don't boo Reigns off the off of Brooklyn, off the island, into the water." But when you add uh, Heyman to that scenario, man, it's suddenly like I hadn't even thought of that. And it's obviously once you hear it, you're like, "Oh, that's so obvious." I should have that should have been one of my four options that could happen. But I love the feeling that I got when I heard that because it's like the fan and you go, Oh yeah. I know that we're too smart these days and we lay out every possible scenario before the match happens anyway, but that is such a brilliant way to get a get new life out of Strowman, to keep Heyman around. And in the end, Heyman's the smartest man left standing. And that's that again fits his character. So that so it would make sense that he kind of played a little bit of a bitch a couple weeks ago, right? Crying at Angle's feet to keep the job and crying this week, but it's all a part of a master plan. And I'm fired up now for SummerSlam. I'm going to be really honest. (laughs) I'm fired up for TakeOver. I wasn't that excited about Sunday at SummerSlam. It's a joy and a blessing to be in a spot in life where part of my full-time job is to cover pro wrestling and go to SummerSlam for free. I'm not trying to be that jerk that's like, I'm pissed at WWE. This is going to stink. But You know where NXT and TakeOver are going right now in great places. We know that's going to be a slam dunk. This brings me back. This is Vince and Kevin Dunn and everybody at Raw doing something that that would make us care. I can't say for the rest of the storylines, Adam, and that's again why Raw was bad, but this one's got me feeling it.
2: And and the key is, though, because you mentioned it briefly in that little diatribe or whatever, it's about Heyman. So it's not about Lesnar anymore, it's not about Reigns even. It's what's Paul Heyman going to do? Or, again, they could be just swerving us, and he does nothing, and it's just the match (laughs) we all think. But at least they've gotten us where we're not going to or – we'll find out what the crowd does in Brooklyn. But maybe they don't boo the entire time because at any point, something could happen. They do like to do
0: that, though. They do like to make us think that they're smarter than they are, but really they're going with the safest play the
2: whole time. Of course. Look, I mean, Heyman could be there. You know, feign that he's going to go turn and, and be with Reigns. Never do it. Reigns hits the spear, pins him clean, and we go off the air and we're like, oh. I mean, that's the most likely scenario. But you said it's not about Roman and
0: it's not about Brock. It's not even about Braun Strowman in that scenario. Because if that Strowman scenario happens and Paul Heyman's the smartest guy, he's so beloved by the Smarks in the Marks right now that that is almost a bootleg grunge version of, of Daniel Bryan climbing the ladder at WrestleMania 30, not the not the actual ladder, but climbing the ladder of of getting over and being given a push, and everybody's going nuts because we made this happen. This would be a victory for the fans, equal to that. If Paul Heyman is essentially the guy who wins that match,
2: even you know in a Espe- weird way, especially especially if it's Braun, but even a little bit with Reigns, you still get okay. You know we're going to do something different with Roman, whether it's face, whether it's heel, it doesn't really matter. We're giving him the rub from someone that you guys like. And it's somewhat organic a little bit more than forcing Roman Reigns down your effing throat week after week. And the other thing I will say, second straight week on Raw BC, Roman Reigns had another really good episode. Hey, you know, when he, he and really it, the, the match with Baron Corbin kind of sucked. But when he gave him the backstage, hey, how's your ribs, and punches him in the gut again, that's two weeks in a row where you're seeing the side of Roman where it's a little bit badass, a little bit comedy, but it's natural. It's not canned lines. And you're really feeling like Roman is actually getting into his own. So the
0: the difference there is that what we didn't like was he was getting Cena booking. Now he's getting mild Austin booking and mild Austin touches. And it's starting to feel a little bit more real. And if he acts a little bit more like cocky heel than Superman heel, we're all I'm sorry, face 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 instead of heel. Then we're all going to be, you know, a little bit a
2: little bit happier. I don't know if I'd call it Austin booking as much as a little bit rock booking because it's a cockiness. That is, it's true. More of, that is true. It's more—it's more of a cockiness than it is an anti-authority badass. But again, it's a layer to his personality that we don't—you know—we didn't have before. And previously, it's the the fist cocking and the ooh uh, and all that sh- crap. Okay, I almost cursed here. Uh, you yeah. know, I guess that's a, a word we can use. Um, and we don't want that. We want someone who's real and relatable and. The last two weeks, he has been more real and more relatable. WWE. If you, if you like that uh, Braun Strowman, Paul Heyman thing, I'm available for freelance opportunities. You can get my number from <laughs> anyone. Uh, notice you know, he says freelance.
0: You're still you're still keeping your options open there. Like you. Oh, yeah, just... I,
2: I work at CBS Sports and I'm on the In This Corner podcast. WWE. Right. I mean, look. WWE, we need to offer some bucks to get me away from here. Trust me. I pr-
0: we're going to talk about Rousey in a second. And I promised I wouldn't crap on Raw. You already said it was a bad episode of Raw. Outside of those awful. two moments, it was off, and it it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't bad as much. As it was just vanilla, and that's ultimately our biggest problem. You can't have vanilla booking two weeks out. So I'm not going to spend all that time. The only one one criticism I'll say is this: Rollins, again in a 25 <laughs> minute match against Drew McIntyre or Dolph Ziggler. And the only storyline, like the, the little tease with Roman was great, but the only storyline that they're telling us is the same story for five, six weeks. That guess what, Adam, it's really hard for one man to beat two. There has to be a better way to build what has all the makings to be a classic SummerSlam match. If it ends up being a singles title match between Rollins and Ziggler, which we think it is, there's got to be better ways to build that than, hey, let's have tw- the same 25-minute match every single week that has the same finish of two guys beating one.
2: Oh, it's ridiculous. And they didn't even give us a payoff that last night. Yes, they not last night, Monday night. They did everything wrong with that segment. Like it's really something that they got nothing right. So the first thing they did wrong, and I said this on Twitter, they mentioned Dean Ambrose's name. I don't care if he's not ready for two months. You don't mention his name even if you're doing it to put him back in people's minds so that he might show up at SummerSlam, well, guess what? You just ruined a little bit of the surprise by bringing his name up again. It made zero sense whatsoever to mention his name. If you're going to say, hey, Seth doesn't have a partner and it can't be Reigns, you gotta have someone come out. They have Jason Jordan completely healthy who they haven't done anything with in weeks. And even if you still wanna bring Dean Ambrose back at SummerSlam, you could have had Jason Jordan run out for the save this week. But you're right. Oh well, it's just blah. It's the same, it's repetitive, and yeah, now they're hammering dust. it down our throats. Yeah, and bring it's out, just
0: ridiculous. I mean, bring out Gold Dust, bring out somebody for a partner. We've seen this already. So yeah, that was pretty much raw as a whole. I don't want to. Well, talk before about...
2: I-, I told you I didn't want to crap on it the whole show, but I do want to say before just two pieces of crap I have to note. Oh, here we go. Braun Strowman's a comedy guy. He's a he's a cartoon character. They did it again. All he does is tip things over. It's stupid. And the B-team theme music was awful.
0: That was awful. I didn't like the Revival's trunks either. I'm fine with it. Oh, the Revival's trunks were terrible. I mean, the bronze th- moment was really... I like that they actually did an 80s-style segment out in the middle of the crowd. I think it's just another physical moment they're going to add to that reel one day that they'll play of him throwing a friggin'... What's hook. next? Whatever. What's next? Know. What are they going pa- to do next? He's, he's been in pause for six months, Braun Strowman. He's been in pause mode. They're, we're waiting for something. We think it's going to happen at SummerSlam. It stinks. The only thing that was that was pretty good was was Rousey, and I, and I feel like you're about to tell me it was great, and I'm not coming <laughs> here to rip it because there it's in a weird spot. Rousey's an attraction right now. When she does wrestle, it is pretty fantastic, and they announce her as the Raw main event. If they want to do that for ratings to get people in there, that's fine. It's fo- against Foxy. It's not a big match. But there's a, there's, a, there's a delicate walk. It's either got to be a, a quick smash in a, in, a, in, a, in a quick one to just tease you and then somebody runs in and it schmazzes or whatever, or it's got to be pretty epic. But either way, under any scenario, including if it's in the middle, which it kind of was in the middle, it does rob from the idea that she only competes on pay-per-view because she's an attraction. And eventually the, the novelty of seeing her and seeing how quickly she's adjusting And I'm not saying she doesn't need reps. She does. So maybe in the end, if anything, this is good reps while they're trying to tell a story here. I just want them to be careful at speeding up when I stop caring about Rousey on the level that I cared coming out of WrestleMania. Is that fair or is that me
2: picking nits there? No, that's accurate. That's as accurate as you could be. Um, It felt special that she was wrestling on Raw. The segment didn't feel special because they built up Alicia Fox as something she's not. So they told they tried to tell us that she's some veteran great legend when she's not. She's someone who's been there for a long time, but if the package that they gave her and the the way they tried to build her was natty. Okay? So if you're not going to put Natty in that role, then put Mickey James in that role. Have her fight Mickey James like that. I have no clue why they decided to use Alicia Fox. I thought Foxy wasn't great. She sold well for Rousey, but At no point did I ever believe that that she had any shred of a chance against Rousey. And they elongated the match so much. Granted, it's wrestling. It's not UFC. But Ronda in UFC, I I sent you an IM. She had two matches ever that exceeded one minute and six seconds. If she's going to have a a match of any length in WWE, it needs to be against a champion like Bliss, even though as a worker, blah, blah, blah. Um, Bayley... Mickey James, Sasha Banks, it can't be against Alicia Fox. Or someone needs sh- to
0: cheat off the start and Correct. put her in a that, precarious situation. Yeah.
2: That should have been that should have been like Bliss distracting her early, Fox getting one hit, Ronda turning, armbar tap out 25 second match. That's how you have to book Ronda Rousey. I'm not saying it was bad. It wasn't bad. But it didn't feel special at the end. She's hugging Natty, all of a sudden she's happy again, whereas had it been Mickey James, had it been or had it been a 20-second match, then you would have said, holy crap, here's Ronda Rousey. Instead, we saw three arm drags, we saw that, a judo throw, and then we saw an armbar that Foxy didn't even take, and that colon commentary said she tapped out before she even got it locked in. It was just, it wasn't good.
0: And, you know, Foxy tapped out within a half second when Steph, the daughter of the owner, was able to... Avoid that at WrestleMania. I know there's extra adrenaline in a WrestleMania match, but she was able to fight it off and not tap. I I don't want to rip it apart. The story didn't, it, it just stuck in neutral. It stayed there. Yes, Rousey did send a message, quote unquote, to Bliss. I don't know. It's just tough. When they present Rousey as really special in these moments that have been really working, and then they dial it back and she becomes raw fodder again and they treat her like they treat everybody else,
2: it sticks out a little bit more. Someone also made a note to me that, think about it this way, she's had two matches on TV, right? So WrestleMania, and then I forgot the event, but against Nia Jax, okay? Was that Money in the Bank? Yes. Yeah. Um, both were great. Both were ma- matches she was able to practice extensively and get everything down and then go out and perform the practice routine, basically, that she was able to do. And she also, every time we see clips of her from house shows, it's the same entire move set because she's practicing it. She's doing it every single week or every single show that she's on the house show. This was not that. This looked like something they put together when she arrived that day. She's not a full-time professional wrestler yet. She is someone who needs the practice and needs the seasoning every time she goes out there. So maybe this was a lesson learned. Maybe they should have had the house show match that she's had in the main event so that she was able to do those judo throws and those maneuvers, the drop kicks and, and everything she's able to do off the top rope. But what they presented Monday was not the best showcase of Rousey. That said, it was far from the worst because at least she wasn't sitting on a mic doing canned lines about her husband that made absolutely no sense and were extremely corny. And that kind of leads me into a transition into our second main event topic, which is going to be obviously SmackDown and everything that went down Tuesday night. What happened after the Superstar shakeup? Is it simply that so much great talent went over to SmackDown and gave Road Dogg and and that writing team brand new life to tell new stories? Or do you think that there was a writing change behind the scenes? Because what we are seeing Monday and what we are seeing Tuesday is a drastically different product where Tuesday I love and Monday I grit my teeth through it and look for little nuggets like Heyman and Rousey just to get me through the three-hour show.
0: It's really hard to understand and predict that because Raw heading into Mania was, was pretty damn good, where SmackDown really wasn't. So, I you know, I love my theory of why it was so hot last summer, at least Raw was. I think it did have to do with the idea of the TV ratings deal was coming up. They knew they were going to enter negotiations. They'd like things to be hot. I think maybe that's why they quickly microwaved a Cena-Reigns feud and a Brock-Braun feud, and there was just sort of a lot of you know, shield reunion. There was a lot of fast forwarding and rushing into things that did make a lot of sense on now that they have this deal, which doesn't start for what, another year and a half. No one's pushing them, but why would that explain why SmackDown's better? Well, I think somebody else is writing and creating it. I mean, we don't really know. We always hear the name road dog. We know he's a part of it. Something changed even in the last three to four weeks. And yes. obviously we really, really like SmackDown as the a show here. It just runs so smooth and clear but why raw raw can be mailed in so badly i i think they're just stuck in the formula but it's just it's it's been so painful that this is not a, typically a time that they do stick in that formula this is a business time for them typically in the summer ahead of SummerSlam. i just i but just it, wish it, i had a i wish i had a better understanding
2: it's not even just the writing and the storylines though it's the thought process they take you through during the episode it's it's how they are telling these stories week to week and connecting the dots so it's it goes so much more than just like oh the lines that they're writing for the talent on raw are terrible and the ones on smackdown are entertaining and funny it's they told a story you know and we'll get into some of the details here in a minute but the women's story arc they're giving you a full arc with becky lynch and charlotte that was thought out knowing that charlotte was going to return on july 31st whereas raw as an example they just threw Ruby Riot in there, and she, yeah. you know, and she and she disrupted disrupted that tag team match. Raw has been more about uh, absolutely basic
0: and and simple can be done brilliantly. NXT is really simple and it's done brilliantly. That's why Bob uh, Bob Dylan, who can't sing and has a guitar and plays three chord songs, is somehow brilliant because he found a way to make brilliant simplicity. Raw is not brilliant simplicity. It's it's just lazy and that that it's there's no storyline layers. It's just all that stuff. So I, I can't figure out if SmackDown really is really good or it's just really good in comparison because I'm so burned out from Raw not trying.
2: I think previously it was better. I think the last two weeks of SmackDown have legitimately been really good and something that I at least know I've been entertained for two straight hours in two consecutive weeks. And the last time that happened in WWE TV, I mean, maybe the lead up to WrestleMania, some of the Raw's, but not like this, not like where we get a tag team main event, like we did on Tuesday night and you know what BC that's a good place to start talking about Smackdown so straight off the bat here BC I'm just really curious to get your initial quick impressions on that match between New Day and the bar for that number one contendership for the Smackdown tag team titles
0: I mean it's
2: a great match
0: I mean the 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 late electricity and drama it. it it felt a little G1-ish. Like, it was great. And I'm not saying G1, you know, is like patented that. We see that in WWE all the time. But it had that sort of craziness at the end. And it just goes back to the natural foundation of what I believe. If you're going to have a 30-minute match on regular TV, make it matter. This one mattered. It, it was a mini tournament. It's brilliant. Everybody came out looking great. They really tricked me to believing the bar was going to win on multiple occasions. This was my maybe fourth or fifth best thing I liked about SmackDown and it was awesome and could have been number one. That shows you that the blue brand's winning and it's not even about who's better. Cause Russ stinks so bad. It shows you that the blue brand is barely keeping me on the WWE main roster train. So thank you. Uh, you know, road dog for Harry carrying SmackDown enough and and caring about it now, you know?
2: I'm going to go back in here and kill SmackDown. No,
0: you're going to go back in there and make it worthwhile and save the damn day. The tag match was great.
2: There's a weird thing going on in WWE with the tag team division where there's three teams, really. It's the Usos, New Day, and The Bar on the main roster. And everyone else is basically shit. Like, the Bludgeon Brothers, I mean, you know how I feel about them. They're fine and they're good in the ring. Like we like them, but the gimmicks awful. They don't do anything. They don't even squash people in matches anymore. They're just kind of there. Okay.
0: All right. Let me let, me, you, let me stop you. Their gimmicks not awful. It's fine it's and awful. it's good. It's and so they just bad. squashed somebody on Tuesday night and it was hilarious. It was three jobbers. It was fantastic. Oh, that's right.
2: That's right. They did. Okay. I, I, I was looking down doing some work during that because I said, "Oh yeah, that's right. It's." Them against some and jobbers. It was hilarious. Um,
0: Corey Graves on the mic, the Roman Reigns starter kit. That was hilarious. It was a great. I stand
2: moment. corrected. I stand corrected on that one hundred percent. But point is, they're just worthless as a team. The rubber mallets are stupid. The they're gear fine. is fine. They're great.
0: They've been booked awesomely. They're champions. No, they, they no, 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 They've
2: been booked strong. There's a difference between being booked strong and not losing, and being booked awesomely. I, I don't care to see them in a match. The match that we saw Thursday night was more attractive of a potential tag team title match to me than any one of those teams against the Bludgeon Brothers. They're fine. Bludgeons are fine. I okay, get what you're well, saying. They well, know, the, point the, is, other tag the point is there are three around, right? stellar tag teams in WWE. They're all on SmackDown. None of the stellar ones are the Bludgeon Brothers. And then you look over at Raw and the Revival have been reduced to nothing. I mean, they really are. The B team was ridiculous on Monday night with that new theme. They had a great Battle Scars team that everyone loved. I know you loved it. I loved it. They're dealing with this crap. You have the Deleters of worlds where Matt Hardy can barely walk and apparently need some type of either surgery or rehabilitation. And there's nothing else happening with tag teams. Sanity doesn't even exist. AOP is in a feud with Titus worldwide, and they lost Paul Ellering. But still on SmackDown, we are getting incredible tag team action. And man, the New Day, it's been years now, man. And they're still so effing over that you buy them beating the Bludgeon Brothers for a tag team title. You also would be perfectly fine if they lose with the hope that these guys stay together but go in their separate singles directions. They can't do anything wrong with these guys. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, it was was a damn good match. Can't wait to see them against the Bludgeons. I'm fired up. I like those Bludgeons. Come on, you're way too hard on them.
2: They're awful, but something that something that was not awful though. Opening up SmackDown with Randy Orton, which to me, man, this is a career rejuvenation. We discussed it last week. For me, this week it just continued right on that path. What about you?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, this promo was fantastic. It was it was straight fire. It it was it was great. Like this is the Randy we want, just like we talked about the last two weeks. And I don't know if I'm pulling a Silverstein here, but I got to at least call them out on this thing. The foundation of his promo was that, like, you fans don't appreciate me or love me. But the problem with that is there wasn't a significantly understandable turn into the dark side or heel for him to make that even remotely true. So while he delivered the promo, great. Like, I actually forgot how good he could talk. That promo was like, oh, man. You know, last week we saw him do dastardly stuff, which we know he can do. I mean, people rightfully pointed out, even though last week I said, that Randy's doing the best stuff since The Legend Killer, people are like, well, don't forget the dirty stuff he did against Triple H and Steph. I'm like, you're right. That was fantastic about ten years ago. But, like... Randy, you're one of the most beloved babyfaces, like, ever. Like, when you won the Royal Rumble in 2017, I was there. The crowd went nuts, even though it really didn't make sense at the time for him to win it. It did ultimately, for the connection to WrestleMania, I guess, for the story they told. But, like, dude, he's incredibly over at house shows and Raw and SmackDowns. like, incredibly, they love you. So, WWE, you missed something in that transition point. It's not enough for me to crap on where they're going with this. I love this Randy Orton, but... Little hole in the little hole in the dam.
2: There, you're right. You're right. It's almost like we wish he was being treated like Cena used to be—the half cheer, half boo. Where then, if he turned, like this is the turn Cena should have had. Basically, is really what we're talking about. It's you guys don't appreciate me anymore. I'm out here busting my butt every single week, and you treat me like crap. But Randy had been gone. He had been getting cheered heavily before he left. And you're right. The one of the biggest surprises to me in WWE in 2017 in 2018, is how much Randy Orton still gets cheered. Like, almost to an undeserving level. Like, they have made him this legend, which, yes,
0: in the long run, he is. But day to day, he doesn't come across as a legend, right? He comes across as,
2: like, a B player. Well, I was going to say, he's a B-side for you, and he is. He is a B-side, right? But this is, the angle's great, and you're right, the promos are great, and everything he's doing to Jeff Hardy is fantastic. But you're right, there was a missed turning point. It's almost like he should have come back in a match with AJ Styles and had AJ Styles go over and get cheered or even Rusev or someone like that. And then he looks at that and says, Oh, you've replaced me. Right. But you're right. That didn't happen. And that, that is a little tiny negative from there. But since I did mention AJ Styles, we might as well go move on and talk about his promo against Samoa Joe, which again, for the second straight week, I praised it last week. I'm going to praise it again this week. There was no direct response from the other party. So it leaves you wanting more, for the go home show next week, where these two probably a contract signing, who knows? Oh no, they already did that. Uh, but probably a face to face of some type. They're finally going to go head to head. Maybe they'll finally touch. Who knows? But I'm juiced about it, and I think this is not hyperbole, hyperbole whatsoever. But as a face, this was AJ Styles' best promo since joining WWE.
0: Um, I I actually completely disagree. I I actually was underwhelmed by this promo, and okay. it, it wasn't bad by any means. And I didn't expect him to one-up Samoa Joe necessarily because Joe is arguably the best promo and gave an awesome one. I just was underwhelmed on the type of response. Yes, he hit the notes in in theory uh, on paper that he should have about my family and all that. And I know, again, AJ's not, you know, if there's one weak spot or not even weak, just not AA plus, it's his his promo game. I just didn't think this was that good. And I thought when Joe was laughing at it at the monitor afterwards, it was sometimes that just comes across as always a heel. He's supposed to do that. That actually came across as Joe going, wow, you, you really had nothing for me. I, I I really wasn't moved by it. I felt it could have been a little bit better. And, you know, like you said, there's there was nothing face to face.
1: Nothing face to face. Nothing face to face. Nothing face to face. You got it? It's like-
0: you got it? All right. Yeah, you got it. And I'm fine with that, by the way. I just really wanted an excuse to hear more Randy Savage.
2: I love the hell out of the Macho Man drops, but we it's like we have zero contemporary drops, except for Daniel Bryan and Renee Young. Like It's like the only one that we have. In the last five years, maybe. Maybe. Am I right about that?
0: Uh, okay. No, I got more than you think. There's a lot of weird ones on here that we don't get to okay. play too often. Like... God bless America. Right? And... <laughs> hey, do you know Big Cass right. is, is on the indies as Big Kaz, by the way? Kaz C-A-Z-Z. with two Zs, How yeah. How lame is, is that? All right, back to SmackDown. So that, that's fine. It didn't move me. You liked it a little better than I did. That's fine. Well, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a spare tire on the show. It wasn't a, a dead end. It It just kind of came together for a good show altogether.
2: Well, the reason I liked it is because every other face promo he's ever done in WWE has been Pure white meat baby face goody two shoes AJ Styles not wanting to ruffle any feathers you know his heel promos when he was with the club and he was attacking John Cena those were his best there's no question about that but every other white uh, or face promo is just was so blase this one he actually like you offended me you pissed me off you talked about my family there was context and balls behind it and for that reason I thought okay they're actually doing something here but I still maintain. And we'll, we'll do predictions next week, but I still man, maintain they got to put the title on Samoa Joe at SummerSlam.
0: You mentioned white face promo. Did you like Kofi Kingston's borderline white face promo when he put on the wig there?
2: Oh, God. I, so uh, let me let's clarify. I said white meat baby face. That's what I meant. <laughs> uh, but yes, I did. Kofi was amazing. I was laughing my ass off at that. All
0: right. It was it, it was it was pretty good. I uh... You know, like. No, I, like, did, I did. I did. I saw some people jostling over, like, is that a white face? Is that the opposite of black face? Where's Roddy Piper and Bad News Brown? And I was like, well, I wouldn't okay. extend he it not paint. That it, he didn't paint yeah. his
2: face. He did a voice, and yes. I mean, look, we know what Vince McMahon said on WWE TV. Vince has come out in a do-rag before. The, Kofi putting on a voice, of an announcer's voice, more than a white voice. It was an announcer's voice. Um, well, I have no issue Vince with that. Vince has said a lot of different funny.
0: things, right?
1: There is no racism here in the World Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it. We'll allow it under any circumstances and that's the
0: bottom line it is it is a bottom line the best part of smackdown i thought was the escalation of this Miz daniel bryan but of course before we get into what was really good help me to understand so i don't look at it as a negative the fact that the Miz has spent a week and a half on the screen and on twitter and on wwe exclusives essentially being like hey daniel bryan you're an indie bit player. You're a washed-up has-been who's coming back. I'm not sharing a room or a ring with you at rest, at SummerSlam because I should be fighting for the WWE championship and all that good stuff. It seemed like they were going somewhere. And then the payoff is a tweet or whatever on on Tuesday yes. afternoon that says the Miz has changed his mind and now he accepts it.
2: What what? Yeah, no, no. You're right. It was 2 hours before the show, I think, maybe even less. And all of a sudden he's accepting it? Now, They did play it at the start of the show, which is a sticking point for me. And they're putting these great promos out on Twitter and on social media and WWE.com exclusives. And they don't put them on TV for the massive fans of WWE to see. So I was happy they did that, although this wasn't a great promo. But you're right. Why didn't they just do the segment, have Daniel Bryan attack him just like they did, have him shatter the vase of roses on his head, and then accept the match right there? Why would you give that away on Twitter? And what sense does it make when a day earlier he cut a promo saying, I'm not going to accept a match with you? That's a hole in logic. It's obviously something that they just changed the writing of that segment. So they had to go back and do that. But yeah, that it didn't tarnish it, obviously, because we're going to talk about how great it was. But it's just another example of WWE effing up. It and it's so, un- it's so unnecessary.
0: They saved it, luckily, w- w- which is the proper transition. It wasn't necessarily a
2: feel that
0: Daniel O'Brien dropped, but the fact that he attacked with such intensity when you didn't think he was going to be there at the Ms and Mrs. Uh, set, whatever that is, which is probably just backstage and right. in the arena. But I loved it. I loved it. I love when a babyface... Look, a, a violent babyface revenge attack can often be the thing that fixes a bad storyline. Do you remember the beginning of the AJ Styles Shane McMahon feud heading into WrestleMania 33 33? Yes. Yes. In Orlando where we're like, "Oh, what a waste of AJ." Well, once somebody's head went through a window and then it, and then AJ's like fighting for his life, you're like, oh, OK, I don't know what the story's about. But these guys are fighting like they mean it, like they hate each other. It's real. I can feel that. Feel that. Yes, I can. OK, I'm back. Yeah, Brian, I felt that this week. Brian Danielson, that, that was that was pretty good. That was pretty good.
2: And he also didn't have to repeat his position either, which is key because there's only so much talking back and forth that these guys can do. Miz can cut as many promos as he wants. And whether he's repetitive or not, it doesn't matter because he puts a different spin on it. But Daniel Bryan being in the ring again, let's say they repeated that segment and just cutting his same promo back at him. No, you're a terrible wrestler. You don't deserve the success you've had and blah, blah, blah. Don't ever mention my kid or, you know, whatever. We saw that already. What we needed to see was Daniel Bryan snap and lose his cool. And that's what we saw. So now, again, just like with style Samoa Joe, just like with the women. And we don't I don't think we have that written down, but we'll talk about it for a second. We have. Me interested next Tuesday to see what they do on the go home show going into SummerSlam. Whereas with raw this week, they gave us nothing. And they're just like, oh, we hope you tune in next week because it's the show before SummerSlam.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Raw, we got a reboot of a tag match with the damn uh, Riot Squad and Ruby Riot coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm down. I'm down. Look, I'm just I don't have a ton to say about uh, we're going to go deep on the SummerSlam preview next week. But I'm down. Are you down with uh, Miz and Mrs. though?
2: So have you watched the episode? So
0: I've only watched the first one, and I have a bad, it couldn't get through it, and I have a bad review for you. But I'm hearing, and when I say hearing, I mean reading the Slack messages between you and our coworker Jacko, Jack Jorgensen, that you guys really like this. And now I'm like, should I take the time to dive in? I hate this type of fake scripted reality. The first one felt yeah. painful. It felt like Miz was going in the wrong direction creatively, yet the ratings, can you argue with the ratings? They're, they're on fire right now.
2: You can't, and there's a couple things that work for it. One, every other reality show is basically an hour. Uh, uh, Not every other one, but Total Bellas and Total Divas, the WWE ones, are hour-long shows, and they're filled with drama. They're they're drama shows, okay? This is 30 minutes, and it is reality, but it's almost entirely comedy. Now, there is a part where Maurice, you know, goes to the doctor and she has to get a C-section and whatever, okay? But it's all about Miz being completely unprepared to be a a father and him being cheap and Marie's wanting like truffled pasta dinners that are $400 and Ms. coming to grips with that, that she's uh, having cravings as a pregnant woman. Mrs. Dad gets involved and he's always been a treat on WWE TV. So yes, the first episode, the worst of the three, the last two, very funny, very entertaining, totally worth watching in my opinion.
0: All right. I'll, I'll give it one more chance, but I'm done with uh, – there's WWE's main roster for the week. Yeah, you got anything else to say about Raw and SmackDown? Because I want to get into the meat of this main event, the thing that matters, the thing that moves me, the thing that makes my feels have feels, if you know how that feels.
2: Yeah, I mean you're talking NJPW, and yeah, we'll get to it. Um, the only other thing I would ask you is the women's storyline, the main women's storyline on SmackDown. Did it sway you in a better direction this week with Becky and Charlotte teaming up but still having that tension Whereas last week, it did really feel kind of just like like we got a, a DM, I think it was, saying, oh, they're, they're killing Becky. And obviously, Guy worked himself into a shoot. But this week, it felt that there was a storyline behind it, not just throwing Charlotte into that match. Am I right?
0: Yeah, it was, it was fine. I, 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 did, I dug it. I dug the Iconics at all times coming out, and, and they're continued making fun of. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it was more of a, a move the chains. We don't have much, but it was, it was, an, it was something. It was something to, to, something to wrestle with, if you will.
2: I will say this. uh, They were very good. I think something has been lost in translation with the Iconics from NXT to the main roster. I don't think their act plays as well in big stadiums with families as it does to a hardcore audience where they're just making fun and they're being very catty. I think they need to get meaner and more heelish to actually get over rather than just be annoying. Because right now, they're basically just two annoying women. And I don't think that's going to work long term. I agree
0: on the, the the extra extra meanness, but they didn't necessarily do this act in NXT. In NXT, they were more wrestling heavy. In, the, in NXT, they were actually a little bit more touchy feely. They were a little bit more. They were. like, "Hey, are these two dating? Are these? You know, is this what we were supposed to be doing with Sasha and, and uh, Bailey? And now we're just hugging?" I got you know. I, I'm not saying they have to go in that direction. I'm not saying I'm ready to hit this button all the time. <laughs> but I'm just saying that they seem to have raised their game on the main roster. But yeah, I could I could use them needing a little bit more juice. It seems to be less about the wrestling although Billy K she can work. I'll give her that. I'll give her that. I think
2: they're I think they're both perfectly fine in the ring. Billy is definitely the better of the two in that aspect. But yes, BC, let's move on to the third part of our main event. NJPW G1 Climax 28 entering its final weekend. We have oh, yeah. one show left for the A block, one show left for the B block, and then the finals. And we don't know who's going to be fighting in those, but we have a little bit of an idea. It's been narrowed down at a minimum based on the standings right now. Uh, But before we get to the standings, BC, has your winner for favorite match of the tournament been updated now that we are this deep into the G1? Uh,
0: It hasn't. But we told you last week to really, really only watch the B blocks if you don't have the time. And by the way, like we you and I are full, full honest. You're struggling even to fit in, you know, some of the matches that we we need to see because of life and other sports. But we told you to watch last Saturday, There's two matches you had to see on there. And Kenny Omega and Ishii delivered. I mean, they delivered. We saw them in the finals of that first U.S. card in Long Beach last year for the U.S. championship when they debuted it. And that match is still one of the best you and I have ever seen. And they absolutely went out there and killed it with a physical, yes, probably five-star match. It was incredible, both bleeding from the mouth. Kenny's lip busted open. It did, still did not eclipse, though. The earlier in the tournament, Kenny Omega-Tetsuya Naito match, for me, that was a little bit more high energy. They're, they're two middleweights that absolutely flow in almost a Savage Steamboat type of way in, in, in terms of body size and how well they work off of each other. This was Kenny playing strong style against Ishii, and it was badass. And you also, of course, that same night saw Kota Ibushi against Tetsuya Naito, which is like a stop-the-presses match to begin with as well, with Ibushi winning. And we're going to get into what the Ibushi win means in a second. It's very complicated and awesome and calculated there. But no, my favorite match is still, number one, Omega Naito from the first night B-Block, and number two, from the first night A-Block, right? Or was that the second night A-Block? Saber versus... Or that was a B-Block match, too. I guess it's Saber Ishii is my other favorite match. Yeah, they're both B-Block. Hey, the B-Block's been where you need to be shopping this this year. Let's be honest with that.
2: Yeah, the A-Block. Give me that buzzer. Uh -uh, It's awful. (laughs) Like... Like, okay, I know there's good wrestlers in it, and there are, and some of the matches are entertaining, but this is so loaded with the B block that you could probably skip the A block and not miss a top five match in the G1. I, I truly and That's actually that. fair, so,
0: because you can't skip over a B block match. I tried. Every no. time Haruki Goto comes on, I'm like, okay, I don't like him that much. And then you're like, wait, what am I talking about? Goto's <laughs> in like these four and a half, five-star matches every damn day. Like, this is amazing.
2: It's crazy, but I do agree with you. Number one for me it's not really much of a question it's omega naito from the night 2 uh of the b block i it's one of the best matches i've ever seen again not counting Om- omega Okada 4 which is a different level it's up there with one of the best matches ever for me so it's tough to pass that i will say uh omega ishi is probably two and then tied for three you have abushi uh, ishi and abushi naito from the same card as the uh Omega Ishii. I know, yeah. I'm, and, I'm dude, throwing these names out. They're all basically. We got DM slides man. up the kazoo
0: and I could we read did. them all. And here's just one from Joe Googlich at flair for the gold. Who's like Omega Ishii, Naito Abushi, all the feels, and just yeah. going on and on about how the revolution is real. We got about 50 of those uh, DMs. We read them all. We thank you. They're all correct. They were awesome. I just, like we said, don't think the Omega, The Omega, here's the thing that this is why this term is so good. This is why it's almost too good, because we don't have the time to watch them all. Omega Ishii somehow lived up to the expectations, which were outrageous, and yet still was my third or fourth favorite match of the tournament. That's absurd. Like, I mean, you could seriously make a a heel argument that there's too much good in this tournament, and it doesn't get appreciated, and it's not worth the grind of the bodies and all that. But, man, dude, do they bring it. And I want to talk to you, Adam, about these recent results and how they have set up for this weekend. I'm going to be in my cousin Tim's wedding. Shout out to cousin Tim. He's he's the man. I'm going to be in Maine. And I'm somehow, I don't think, going to be able to watch these live. But Friday,
2: A Block. Well, you wouldn't watch them live anyway. You're not waking up at 5.30 in the morning.
0: Friday, A Block in Tokyo is the final. Saturday, B Block final in Tokyo. Both at Budokan. And the way they have last minute tweaked the storylines here, Adam, I thought I knew how this was ending or at least had a had a feel. And we say, well, then NJPW, you know, it's great five and a half star matches, but they don't do the stories. No, they brought the stories here. They gave us what we wanted. If you watched these the last week, I said last Saturday, you got to see Naito Abushi because whoever wins is going to go into the last day having a chance to win it if Kenny doesn't stay undefeated. In fact, when Abushi beat Naito, the first thing you have to say Adam is, "Okay, that means the final day when Kenny and his best friend Coda have a match, it's going to be for all the marbles. But no, Adam, it's not. Because they came back this morning, Wednesday morning, and they brought it with the storylines. And we've got somebody sliding in who's affecting this. We've got to hear them out.
1: Kentucky Long Rifle. What does that mean? It, it
0: actually is, John Cena. And it's from Tom Foote at Foot92. He says, ABC, I normally agree with you on most things. However, I don't get the love for Tamatonga and you calling his matches must see. If I'm skipping any matches in the G1, it's been him and Fale. Every match is so predictable and not good that they have all these run-ins. I understand the DQs and the cheating to get heat on the new faction, but it's freezing all the underjuice I had brewing. Well, well said right there. He went on to say he loves the G1, he loves the Silver King. Hey, shout out to Tom Foote. A new member oh yeah, let's just pass
2: over that he loves DM's the Silver line. King. Right. Oh, see, yeah, that's man. see, loving the Silver King is basically at the end of every DM we get. You just don't like reading it on wow, the air. Oh
0: wow, this look at this guy. <laughs> Silver
2: King wasting no
0: time to get the offense going here. So I made a speech last week that I'm down, I'm down for this Tama Tonga thing, even though yes, almost every match is either a DQ win for the Tongans or somebody fighting off the DQ attempt and getting a win after the referee gets knocked down like six times in the match. But what they did this morning with the Tongans, I think, put the whole package back together. Like I said, Abushi just beat Naito. We were all set for Kenny and Coda in the finals, but not so fast. Because they both lost this morning, Adam, and they both lost because of the Tongans. It was Abushi versus Tamatonga. And as Abushi was on his way to the ring, he got attacked by the Tongans. As the match went on, he got attacked more when the referee wasn't looking. Kenny came out to get his boys back. And do you know what happened next? Do you know Adam? Do you know? No, because
2: I didn't watch it. Because the you're, damn you're, Tongans you're, took
0: you're him out. Spoiling everything for me right well, now. Well, you Go got to get up to speed, bro. It's it's it is what it is. You know we okay. record on Wednesdays, and the Tongans took the juice out of Kenny Omega. They beat him down. Kota Bushi loses to Tamatonga. Then Kenny is injured, and guess who's coming through that door? My man TalkBox out there in TV land. He's listening. He's watching. He knows. It's Toriano, and (laughs) Yano comes in, and Kenny's laid out. And if Kenny loses this, by the way, this is going to be mayhem for the standings, right? Yes, right. Yano jumps on him. You think we're getting the one, two, three, but Kenny kicks out. Then they have the most epic comedy match. In this G1 or last one G1 put together. I always tell you must see matches based on stars. Forget the star. Watch this morning's Kenny Omega versus Toriano match for the comedy, the taping of the wrists. They pulled the the uh the corner things off. What do you call those turnbuckle pads and had a yeah. war with them? Like I'm talking about brilliant stuff, but in the end the Tongans came back again, they ruined Kenny's chances, they hit him with a stun gun. We got the one, two, three, and now what we have? is the Tongans really effed up Kenny and Coda to the point that that's going to be a feud down the road and it's going to be badass. But this Saturday, the B-block final, this is what we are down to in the standings. Two matches that matter, Adam. We could end up having a four-way tie. Technically, because of the tiebreakers, three of the four have a chance to win. Kenny Omega is going to face his buddy Coda. If Kenny wins, he wins the damn B-block and goes to the finals, all right? But Naito, who has 12 points like Kenny does, is going to face Zack Sabre Jr., who has 10 points. And if Zack beats Naito, and Abushi beats Kenny, we have a four-way tie in the B block, and the tiebreaker would go to Ibushi. Or, let's say Kenny and his good buddy Kota have a draw and get one point each. And Naito beats Sabre, Naito goes Holy crap. This is now drama for Saturday morning. Must see who's coming out of this, Adam, because I didn't see back to back victories for Kenny and Kota this morning. This changed everything.
2: Yeah. um, Did change everything. Uh, You know, for me, I've been sticking with Kenny winning uh, from the beginning uh, way early. As soon as the, I think blocks were announced, I had Kenny winning the B block and going on to face Tanahashi out of the A block based on this. Uh, You know, I think there's a lot of different ways it can go. One option is draws in both matches, which creates an interesting situation with Kenny winning by default. Another way it can go really based on what you just said. And it's nothing I really considered until now because, again, I didn't see it this morning. So thank you. Um, The Tongans could force a double DQ in Omega Ibushi. And as long as Naito beats Zack Sabre Jr., Naito wins the block. Kenny doesn't lose. And Ibushi doesn't lose. We see a really good match from them. But 20 minutes in, all of a sudden it's over. So no one gets over the other person. They each get a point, I would assume, in a double DQ. It's the equivalent of a draw. Or they both get zero points. Either way. Um, And then you would have Naito coming out against probably either Tanahashi, Okada, Is there anyone else in the A-block that can win?
0: Jay White, three of the four in the A-block. Oh,
2: God forbid. I'll get to that
0: A-block in one second. But they have done such a great job presenting Kenny, the IWGP Heavyweight Champion, as a star. I thought heading into last week, he was going to become just the second to go undefeated in pool play. I guess that first one was Shinsuke Nakamura, who ended up losing in the finals, you know, whatever that was, 2013, 14, whatever. Kenny, we mentioned that Ishii match. What we didn't mention was who won that, Adam. It was Ishii who won. And I got to give credit to Kevin Kelly announcing that match. He was so over the top. Don Callis hasn't been there because he's got he's tied up with uh, Impact Wrestling and all this stuff. And he really put over, heading into that Ishii loss, how great and unbeatable Kenny was.
2: He's unbeatable. I'm telling you, Omega is unbeatable.
0: That was the last near fall when Ishii kicked out. And they really put that over. So for Kenny to lose there and then lose against Toriano and this craziness, we're entering in where I don't know. You just laid out what could happen. You know the Naito match is going to be first on Saturday, and we're going to close with Kenny versus Kota like we should. If Naito loses, we could still have a four-way tie. If Naito wins, then it's like, okay, well, Kenny's got, you know, whoever wins Kenny, Kota is automatically going to win because of the tiebreakers. It's wild, and it's crazy. I don't think you should have the IWGP Heavyweight Champion in the finals of this, though. I think you should have other people that can use the rub and the shine to get a push more than that. And I still go with my prediction that it should
2: be Kota Ibushi because he's been the star of this tournament. Has he not? Um, I, I guess I, he's, he's probably, I mean, he's been so good for so long that I just think he's getting, he, he is giving, being given the opportunity to showcase himself. But I don't necessarily think he's a breakout star because he's already a star. And he's already broken out, you know, years ago. So I, I wouldn't necessarily use that term. But yes, he his um, prestige has been lifted based on his performance so far in this G1. There's no question about it. What I really like about this angle that they're doing with Kenny is it actually ties in to being the elite. I don't know if you've seen the last two episodes. I'm way behind on those. Okay, so in being the elite, Hangman Page, who had been losing in the G1, I think he had zero wins or he had one, I don't remember. He finds Kenny. He's like, Kenny, I need your help. I need the secret to winning. You know, help me out. And Kenny gives him a book, the book that he's been reading before every match. Since Kenny's given him the book, Kenny's lost twice. I don't think Paige has lost yet. So they're. Oh, I like that. I like that. They're, they're, they're putting a little mini storyline into being the elite that this has to do what, with the G1. This is
0: brilliant. I mean, look, I know.
2: It's so good. And
0: the way they set up Kenny's losses was perfect also during that Ishii match because the year before, also in Osaka, Kenny entered with such a wide lead. He fought Juice Robinson. He lost on a roll up, and suddenly his automatic win in that block was in question. And Kevin Kelly went nuts on it again after Ishii won.
2: To the
0: Osaka. They're calling it the Shaka in Osaka part two. I mean, this is great. This is brilliant, but that's the B block. I got to tell you what's going on in a, because it's the same. I don't f- care.
2: Who cares? No, <laughs> it is. It's Not... great. The final know, day know, is I'm Friday
0: saying. morning. There's two matches that matter. Tanahashi Ace has 14 points and Jay White and Okada have 12. Here's how it's going to break down. Tanahashi's going to face Okada. Oh yeah. This is a must-see match. If Ace wins, he outright wins the damn thing. But Jay White is going to face Evil. Evil is not in this race. But if Jay White beats Evil, he does he automatically win? He would have the tiebreaker over Okada if Okada beat Ace. Jay White makes the finals. Who has the tiebreaker in Tanahashi versus White? I think
2: Jay White beat Tanahashi. Did
0: Jay White did. Wow. So look at this. If Jay White wins, he's in he's the guy. Well, no,
2: he needs Tanahashi to lose also. Tanahashi's two points ahead.
0: You're right. He would. So that's probably what they're going to do because J-White Evil won't be the final. They'll probably have J-White <laughs> win. I mean, I hope it's defense. not what they do putting J-White in the finals. And then you have Ace and Okada in that match. I'm not, what I meant when I said final. Let's not forget,
2: let's not also forget that um, Okada just beat Tanahashi in his match prior to Omega. Oh, yeah. his, his record-breaking defense, I think it was. Um... So, you know, it it would make sense to me from a booking perspective for Ace to get that win back and win the G1. Also, he's the one I predicted at the beginning and I'd like being right. All right.
0: Jay White's going to beat Evil. And then in the main event, Okada Ace is going to be fantastic. And you're right. This feels like an Ace victory. So then you go back to my pick of 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 Ibushi. If Ace wins, it's not going to be Ibushi against him. It's going to be Kenny Omega because right. Or would you? still do abushi have ace, have ace win the whole damn thing and set up kenny versus ace for wrestle kingdom which is a mark, especially in japan it's a marquee yes. matchup that's like john cena against the rock i mean it's 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 legit
2: that would be that be that would be out of all the options the match i would pick because while i do think there's money in kenny abushi i think there needs to be an angle there like a turn or something You know, Ibushi would have to win the G1 with Omega and beat Omega. He'd have to beat Omega and then win the G1. And if he did that, then there was an angle there. But if he won it based on that tiebreaker that you're talking about, there's not enough juice for that to main event Wrestle Kingdom for me, even though they're partners and golden lovers and whatever else you want to consider it. Um, But I think the match, the best match for Wrestle Kingdom, based on who is left that can potentially win the two blocks, is Omega Tanahashi. And the second best would probably be Omega Naito. Just because we've already seen so many amazing matches, we just got a tease of it. Omega beat him at the beginning of the G1. Then Naito would have a chance to get two losses, you know, back.
0: I know I'm counting out Naito too early. Like, I'm not even mentioning him. When in reality, an ace Naito final, which was the A-block final last year, would be certainly fantastic. Yeah. But let's talk about marking out here and... and booking to ju- to to create juice to force juice out of people's bodies that is so we got it we're going the 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 censors the 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 f you know the the FE, f fcc is that what they call it they're not going to let that go that's gross that's just absolutely just <laughs> dis- don't wave me on that's disgusting anyway talk to me about this kenny and abushi have 30 minutes to make it happen if they draw i don't think they can draw and still win no you no know, kenny would win if they draw okay so abushi's <laughs> going to win this but Kenny's going to bow to him and say, best friend, lover, golden lover, you're the man, you win. But what about when Abushi goes to the finals against Aish Tanahashi? And Kenny's ringside with his boy, but he knows he has to face the winner at Wrestle Kingdom for the big dance. And Ibushi just beat him. And he doesn't want to spend the next six months with, with his best friend and tag team partner and golden lover in this weird thing where he knows... They're going to fight in six months for the championship and he can lose his belt to his best friend and golden lover who just beat him the day before. So Kenny doesn't turn heel. He doesn't purposely cheat. But they brilliantly book some situation where Kenny either has a chance to cheat and doesn't or has a chance to help and doesn't. But anyway, he wants to face Ace. He doesn't want to have to face his golden lover. So he lets Ace beat his man. And that begins the slow divide between the two of them. Am I going anywhere that is possibly activating your feel spots?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, certainly an option. But if that were to transpire, then you're not getting Ubushi Kenny at Russell Kingdom. Fair. You're waiting. So, so
0: you're, you're, telling Dominion, me, you're telling me, Campbell Ubushi has to win this match. And Kenny has to try to not let him win, but he wins anyway. And then suddenly, the mega powers are about to explode
2: in my pants. Then right we now. have that. Or we just try not to get too convoluted and just see what happens next weekend, oh, this weekend.
0: Wow. Anyways, I'm fired up, Cousin Tim. I'll be there by your side. I will be there for you, Cousin Tim. These five words I swear to you in Maine, but I will also be checking my phone and, and trying to sneak in some time and probably f- arguing with my wife about it, but I'll be there in Maine with my laptop, with my iPad, and I'll be checking this out. Are you fired up, Adam, or are you begrudgingly, all right, I'll go the distance on this thing? I mean, you got to you got to give up a lot of stamina. What are you on talking
2: time. about? I'm I'm been fired up from the G one from day one. You don't feel it now. You feel down. You feel down and out. Oh no, because you're you're you're. I mean, look. <laughs> You're going through booking like we book on the show. Yes, we do fantasy book on the show, but you we just went through like seven booking scenarios. It's just three and I'm sitting hours here special. and uh, what, what's my opinion of it? Yeah, it'd be exciting if it happened. I mean, what do you want me to say? I want you to
0: feel that, all right? I want you to feel that. I don't I don't know if you can feel that. For the
2: button, did you, did you find the let's get the clip here. Come on. I don't have the I don't have I'm not going. i have already played, you field played field it. You just uh, played it. You
0: just played it in front of me. I'm not going to play it again. I just played it, all right? You know what I mean? It's
2: just, it's just Okay, well, you know, BC, you know, you know what I'm feeling, man? I am feeling The CBS Sports HQ Newsletter. And you can get the best highlights, the biggest sports stories right in your inbox every single morning with the CBS Sports HQ Newsletter. It's packed with all the good stuff you need to see before you start your day. All you need to do to subscribe. and You'll see plenty of Nick on that. Just go to CBSSports.com slash HQDaily and it will arrive in your inbox the next morning.
0: Yeah, yeah. Check your DMs first. Go right to your in-hole the next one. That's 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 my routine in the morning, right?
2: It's my routine in the morning.
0: All right. All right. This is all right. Hey, no H, no H slash Z this week because we're already three hours in with this G1 stuff, all right? But we do have a very, very, very special guest. Someone we can wrestle with. The podcast king himself. The former brother love. The great Bruce Pritchard. And, and, and Adam, you were supposed to do this interview with me and we we had technical difficulties. We turned out like grandfather's trying to learn how to pay with a credit card at the gas pump. It, it, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't connect.
2: Well, let's give you a little bit fourth wall breaking here. So this interview was supposed to happen a day earlier. Um, <laughs> long story short, due, due to so many technical difficulties that you couldn't even imagine, we weren't able to do it. Bruce was super cool and understanding, came back with us a day later and decided to record. And then we tried to do that. And BC can't get me on the line. I think it was on purpose, but we'll chalk it up to a technical difficulty. I was also supposed to be on the Bret Hart interview, and somehow that didn't work out either. Yeah, I think so, we're developing
0: a, a nice trend here. I think we're going in oh, a yeah, good
2: direction. Yeah, yeah, people I book for the show that I don't get to interview. It's it's a great trend. But from all that you have told me, you had a fantastic chat with brother love Bruce Pritchard, and I cannot wait to hear it. All right. Enjoy. Oh, yeah, the
0: CBS Sports in this corner podcast. So pleased to bring you, I'm going to call you the hottest name in pro wrestling, and you're not even in a singlet anymore, Bruce Pritchard of the great Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard Podcast. Bruce, thank you for joining the CBS Sports Podcast, especially when we tried to set this up yesterday. And I don't know what's going on here, Bruce, but I was in the CBS Sports Stanford, Connecticut satellite office and the electronic powers that be would not let the call connect.
1: Is there a conspiracy going on here? Uh, you know, I don't know. I I'm not allowed to step foot in Stanford. So the just the sheer fact that uh, you had a little trouble there. Little kabuki if you will.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Bruce, we're all a giant fan of the podcast. We know that this has spun off to something even bigger. You got the live show tour August 18th, Gramercy Theater. Is that Brooklyn, New York, SummerSlam weekend?
1: Absolutely. Going home to New York City and uh, going to be at Gramercy in the afternoon, two o'clock in the afternoon. In New York City, it's kind of like our home away from home and one of our favorite venues. So. Uh, hey, looking for tickets, head on over to com and join us there live, man. It's going to be a blast.
0: And we know from listening to your podcast, you guys will be a part of StarCast in Chicago for the all-in weekend that goes on September 1st. Bruce, on this podcast, we love WWE, but we love what I call the revolution. What's going on outside the world, and it's bubbling up and over. You guys are going to be part of this event. This, I'm not going to try to stamp this all-in weekend with a negative stamp like the old super clashes with AWA and world class trying to join fans. This one feels like it'll actually work Bruce.
1: Well I hope so. I think that anything that continues to make the wrestling business as a whole healthier is a good thing for everybody. So the more promotions and the more places that there are for talent to work and people to ply their trade in my book is better. So uh, happy for them and I hope it does well.
0: Absolutely. All right, we could. They can find you on uh, a lot of plugs that we'll get to later. You have a lot of websites. You and Conrad Thompson, very, very well done there. But let's start off here, Bruce. This, this podcast thing took off after your pro wrestling booking, behind the scenes, on screen brother love career ended. Now, oh my, are you as famous as you've ever been, Bruce? I mean, this is pretty ridiculous. You've gone from inside guy to like wrestling legend and celebrity which probably felt like it happened overnight. We're a couple of years into this. What's the most pinched
1: me. This is ridiculous moment you've had so far. Uh, you know, it's crazy because for so long, all of my work was done behind the scenes. And that is, you know, what, what I enjoyed the most, probably more than anything. And, uh, you know, I was in front of the camera's brother love, but my face was disguised and, I had a completely different look and a different feel, and and it was a different name. So for Bruce to be recognized now and and to be out there, and to have over a million downloads in a, in a week, people listening to your stuff, it's pretty humbling, and it's pretty damn cool when you think about it because it's uh it means people care, and that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you know you've actually pretty much done something ridiculous which is be on the outside of WWE in a podcast that sort of shows the good and the bad of what happened behind the scenes and now they've obviously seen how good you've done welcomed you back into the fold you have the WWE Network show of course when was the first time though that you saw Vince after this podcast blew up you're doing the voice of Vince on the show what was that meeting like is that at Raw 25?
1: The first time that I saw Vince, yeah, was at Raw 25. But, I look, I've done Vince to Vince for years. So (laughs) I I did that for him for many, many years before the public ever got a hold of it. Um, You know, I don't like to say that I do imitations. I do caricatures. And everybody that is on the show, including those that have since passed, They've all heard me do it. I've I've done it to every one of their faces. So it, um, Vince has heard it before. Oh my, I and mean, he's the whole nine yards when when it was time to do something. I would do it in Vince speak. So it's nothing <laughs> new to them.
0: You know. The, the show works because you and Conrad have such a comedic skit. It, it, it's great. It's over. I don't have to pu- puff it up anymore. We all love it and enjoy it. But I don't think it works, Bruce, unless you have the memory that you did, and certainly the career to have been there through so many things. Have you sort of realized that you're now like this historian, this oracle, because you were there, because you had the memory, that you're sort of the living guy to
1: go to when we need, hey, did this actually happen this way? Well, you know, the... The thing about it is, is my my memory and my recall is what was important to me and how it affected me at the time. So while, you know, there are people that say, oh, no, that's not the way it happened, or this is what Vince said to me. If I wasn't privy to those meetings, I really have no idea to say yay or nay. However, for so long, it was three guys. It was myself, Pat Patterson, and Vince McMahon who made a lot of the decisions and the majority of the decisions for the company for many many years and we kind of lived in a cocoon where we were the only people we saw you know we spent more time with each other than we did our families and it was during those times and those recalls and and how decisions affected me personally and or what i was involved in that's where the recall comes from I, i couldn't tell you the date of any major uh, pay-per-view. I I can't even tell you I can tell you the date of when I got married but the year is WrestleMania 12. That's how I equate it. Absolutely. And I don't even know what year WrestleMania 12 was. I have to go back and do the math. 96. We're we're, we're nerds on the show. 96. Okay. Well, see, there you go. So so my memory for that stuff is not good, but I can correlate how it affected me. (laughs)
0: Actually I may screw up. There may have been ninety seven of them thinking about it. Because eleven was the debacle in Hartford. I say debacle because I, I live in Connecticut. I grew up in Connecticut and that's the show that we got. You know, Bruce? That's that's what happened.
1: Well, that's your fault. <laughs> you mentioned I Pat- you say I lived in Connecticut for many years. I look, I, I actually when I left Connecticut was kinda of sad because it was um you know, i I become used to it. I hated Connecticut when I first went there, but uh, I it's a nice place.
0: It is. It is. I, I just can't believe a WrestleMania and ever. By the
1: way, it's 96. I just looked it up.
0: Ninety six. Yes. OK, that I never I can't even believe a WrestleMania ended up in Hartford, by the way. That's a separate topic for a separate time. Uh, you mentioned deal with me for a second here, Bruce. You mentioned Vince, Pat. There's the romanticism of us wrestling fans of the idea that you're booked by the pool. Like in my mind, I'm like, you know, I always make that reference. You know, Vince isn't calling me up to go by the pool with Bruce and Pat. What were the pool sessions like? Because I imagine that's where the magic was made, this glorious mansion. Everyone's sitting back with a drink, maybe some sweet Chiba. We're having the grand old time booking the future. Was it as romantic as I'm imagining?
1: You know, that that's the part that always always gets me is, oh, well, they're sitting out by the pool. What they failed to realize is that we started uh, either out by the pool or in the dining room at 8 o'clock in the morning. And we usually didn't end until 10 or 11 o'clock at night every day, Saturday and Sunday. So while the folks in the office were nine to five, okay, they weren't there that hour earlier and they sure as hell didn't stay that six hours later in the evening. And on Saturday and Sunday, they were usually with their families doing things that normal people do. So the romanticism of being out by the pool is, in my opinion, just highly overrated that people want to think whatever the hell they want to think. It's kind of like they say, oh, well, you travel in limousines and you get on private planes and go from place to place. Let me explain what happens in those. You get picked up at the crack of dawn, you get in the limousine, and guess what you do in the limousine on the way to the airplane? You work. When you get on the plane, you pull out your notes and you pull out your books and guess what you do on the airplane. You work (laughs) when you land and you get in the limousine to go to the venue that night for that 15, 20 minute ride, whatever it is, you work. When you get to the venue, you work at the end of the night, you have a meeting at the end of the night and you talk about what you just did before you get back in a limousine to go back to the airport and, Three guesses. What do you do in the limousine at the end of the night from the venue back to the jet? You work. You get on the jet. You fly to the next town. That whole way you work, you land in the next town. You get in a limousine and you work on your way to the hotel where hopefully you can go get four or five hours of sleep before you repeat that exact same scenario the next day. Yeah. That's the glamorous road, and I loved it. So I mean, I'm not complaining about it. But it's it's always funny to me when people say, "Oh, they've got this glamorous life, and you fly from here to here to there, and you go in limousines and Lear jets, and all this other crap." That's what it's like, folks.
0: Hey, I would buy into that life in my early to mid late twenties, Bruce. I think we all would. I think we
1: all would have been a part of that. I
0: think we would have taken a couple of tongue lashings from the VKM if we had to be a part of history right there. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, yeah. and, and It's just you, you were on constantly, and if you were uh, home, for example, I always love to tell the stories of getting phone calls at at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, and they start off with, what are you doing, pal? <laughs> I, was, I was trying to sleep. Forgive me. So it's um, – You know, that's the glamorous life. And and when people get into it, and realize, well, this is crazy, man. I can't do this all the time. Then that job's not for you.
0: Yeah, that's that is that is fair. That is absolutely fair Uh, to close on Vince here. I, I have this screensaver on my computer and maybe this really exposes me as a nerd of Vince in the 80s, sitting on his couch, cross legged with Zubaz pants in his living room with the painting of Vince behind him. Can you just tell me anything you know about that painting so I can put that chapter of my life away, Bruce?
1: First of all, he's not wearing Zubaz. He's wearing Zero Boogie, which was a brand of clothing that they were trying to uh, make popular with the WBF. And uh, he's with Bosley the dog, and that was for Sports Illustrated, I believe, is the one who came in and did the shoot.
0: And did he commission that painting for himself? You know where I'm going here, Bruce.
1: Oh yeah, I mean the the it was the the family. I don't know if he did it or Linda did it, but there's a there's a portrait of Linda in the formal dining room, and that portrait of Vince in the uh, den. All right,
0: you know, hey, if you if you can pull it off, that's fine, that's great. All right, Bruce, you'll be there SummerSlam weekend next weekend for your live show. Of course, it's the 30th anniversary of the first SummerSlam, same city, 1988. Madison Square Garden in New York, a big deal. Bruce,
1: correct me if I'm wrong. That was your first pay-per-view on the creative team? That was, well, I was actually doing a production, television production at the time. And my first was Survivor Series, actually, 1987, when we got there in November. And then we did WrestleMania that year. That was WrestleMania four. And then uh, along came SummerSlam at the Garden. But that was my first appearance as a talent uh, yes. on air, you know, and performing live at a pay-per-view with SummerSlam.
0: I, this is such a great show because it's, it, it, you know, it's, such, it's such a great period, of course, in, in the launch of WrestleMania and going national and Hulkamania. But it's right in the middle of the Mega Powers angle. The, the year plus that I call Bruce the greatest story ever told in professional wrestling history. You come to the company right as that thing's about to launch. Does this have that same hold on your heart, having been on the inside, that it does for me and many other fans where the layers, the details, the fact that that story worked with adults just as much as it worked with kids, that that was something truly special that stands out in, in, in already a great classic era?
1: the beauty of it was that we had time to tell a story and we had the time to let it develop and allow all of the nuances to seep in slowly as they would in real life. You know, you things don't happen immediately in life. You know, it, it, it takes a little time and it takes time for it to seep in. And that was the beauty of that story was you started way back almost a year ahead of time and you told a very simplistic story some people got some people didn't but when you went back and showed them along the way and you had the viewpoint from the two different people involved in it and you go hey now i get it now i see it so i it was beautiful and and i think that when you have the time to tell a story that's what's best
0: you know that came right in the middle when Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan still together, still the mega powers, this tag team. We all remember how it ended with Jesse Ventura as the special guest referee. Of course, Miss Elizabeth on the apron, ripping off the skirt. That's pretty risque there for 1988, Bruce. I mean, we saw much different later on. How does that moment get cleared? Is that, that sounds like a Bruce Pritchard idea, if I'm really being honest.
1: Well, you know, uh, I probably would have been a little more risque than we were, but that was something that that Vince had in his head, and that was something that they laid out. And as they got closer and closer to it, I think that Randy was a little more comfortable with Liz being in a one-piece versus a bikini, and that's the way that it all played out. But it was every single step of the way, and again, it's a testament to the talent of, of Hulk Hogan and uh, Randy Savage and even Liz that were able to do everything asked of them. Sometimes they, sometimes they knew. Sometimes they didn't know what was going on. So it was um, they, they went in with faith and it all worked out in the end.
0: Absolutely. And it's the little moments that obviously stand out. And when anyone, you know, even us barking on this podcast, when we see the product today and we get mad that things don't feel the way they used to, or there's not as much attention to detail. I mean, this is, you know, from Savage slamming down Ventura's hand for the final three count to defeat the Mega Bucks to all the little Easter eggs, Bruce, about where, about what was really happening here between the Mega Powers and Liz. And even in victory here at SummerSlam, they hadn't broken up yet. But as a fan, even for me as, what, a 10-year-old fan, I could say, I remember saying, hey, did Randy just give Hulk a weird look? How much fun was that to insert those little moments where you hope people get it? Sometimes it was fairly obvious. Sometimes I'm not sure if people got it. Sometimes maybe we're reading into things that weren't there. But to have that control and the creative and put in all those little details, what was that like?
1: Well, the part about it was was that not everybody knew. And we made sure from a production standpoint at the end of the match, this is what I want to see without telling them why we were getting it or what that story was. It was just, I want to see, when, I want to see it from behind when Savage puts Liz up on his shoulder. And you tell it in an innocent way, this is the shot that I want. They got it. They didn't need to know the whole story. They didn't need to know how everything was going to go along the way. And even the talent was here. I need you to steady your here and do this and do that. And you you let it naturally progress because if everyone had known ahead of time, per se, I think that it would have some of it would have been overstated and might have been a little bit over the top. And the subtleties of everything is what made it so beautiful.
0: No, no question about it. When when that blew up, it, it's one of the most iconic moments, of course. And that, I believe, it was the main event or the Saturday Night's main event, leading into, of course, WrestleMania Five. And Savage finally attacks him. You've got you've got lust in your eyes. All that all that great stuff, right? There's there's some Absolutely. real there's some realness in there, and that's what made it work. But but it, it felt like Randy believed this to be true. I still think to this day, I know we can't prove it, but I like to believe in real life. It's still real to me. Damn it, that Hulk and Liz maybe were, maybe Hulk did do a few things wrong, and Randy wasn't acting. Brother, is there any truth to that? that like that, it was it was still real to Randy as well.
1: Yeah, you'll never know. That's the beauty of it as well, and it was real to them. And if you feel it and you believe it, and that's that's the difference I think a lot of times with talent today that wants to play wrestler or play a part versus living the part yeah. and actually being what what you're you know what you're portraying
0: Bruce, I think you got the biggest pop at raw twenty five with outside of the austin McMahon segment that opened that was fantastic. Uh, I think you really did. And it obviously came at a great time for this second half, the second chapter in your wrestling life Uh, from just as a, as a guy, as a man, as a person that loves this business, how rewarding was that specific moment for you?
1: Just being there was an awful lot of fun and it was, it was a special night because when you look back and you think about how raw was created and what we were trying to accomplish at the time, and looking back at the very first one and everything that you had done through the years, it was a special moment. So I, I was proud to be a part of it. And for me personally, it was it was going home. And I was welcomed with open arms. And it was a whole hell of a lot of fun. So it was it was a positive night. It was a lot of fun. Plus, you get to see all your old friends from many, many years. And not only the talent, but to see the crew and to see see the guys that bust their ass every single week uh from the the cable pullers every one of the camera guys man just artists every one of them and to walk into the arena and see all of them up in the stands it was it was really a lot of fun and that was nice to just reconnect
0: Absolutely, I had a chance, Bruce, to go to the WWE archive warehouse there in in Connecticut last year, and it's a you know it's a wrestling fans like joyride, dream come true, adventure theme park. You know, you walk around, you see all the old gimmicks. It, they, everything is there. That day, they happened to bring in what was left of uh, of the personal storage locker of the late uh, you know the late Percy Pringle, the uh, the late Paul Bearer, m- many different characters there, and just to see everything he kept and collected for his run with The Undertaker and all that stuff was great. Is there one gimmick that you've kept in your personal collection that means the most for you when you look back at your time, either as brother love or just with the company?
1: You know, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, people ask me that all the time. I, I have the death mask of Maurice Tillet, the French angel, a bronze death mask, the only one in existence. Now, there's some other that are the... Uh, Plastic mold of it, but I've got the only bronze death mask of Maurice Tillet. And I've got all my booking books, and I have almost every single legal pad from roughly 1985 until I left. Wow. Um, my handwritten notes. I have all that. That's what means something to me, and, and those special. Those moments, because that was a part of my life, and that was that was fun. I don't really have. I'm not a big collector like that, where I've, I've got to have this or I've got to have that. I, I enjoy the things that mean something to me. Like, for example, Dusty Rhodes, one of the first, they did a special edition uh Dusty action figure, and Dusty was sitting in the office one day, and they came in, and he says, head, I'd like you to have some." <laughs> and he gave me his action figure. And it wasn't the action figure as much as it was what he wrote on it. And you know, I had that displayed in my office um, just because it was it was nice words from Dusty. And I got one of the first ones. Um, can, can you share like any of that, that,
0: Bruce, or is it too personal?
1: What, share any of what? What Dusty wrote on there to you. Oh, God. Hang on. I'll actually go over here. And...
0: Oh, look at this. Breaking news, Bruce
1: Pritchard. Wow. It was, it was just to my very good friend. Thank you for everything. Uh, love you, Bruce. I'm your friend, Dusty Rhodes. That's great. And it was, you know, and it's just the books that I have and that uh, I always get, you know, I always get them signed and I always want somebody to write something in there. Those always mean a lot. I like to open those from time to time and get a chuckle out of some of the inscriptions, but. It, uh yeah, the 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 personal things mean more to me than anything. Bruce, uh, a
0: couple more questions to close here. I could go eighty five thousand different ways with you because you've been there, you've seen it all, and you remember it in such great detail. I did a Randy Savage, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, WrestleMania three oral history for ESPN before I left that company more than a year ago, and got a chance to talk to everybody that was willing to. And of course, Lanny Poffo was the voice of Randy's side. And he spun it forward. It wasn't just that match. He spun it forward what Randy's mindset was like in the years that followed. And I want to ask you this question if you have any insight on it. Lanny says that match with Ricky haunted his brother forever because Randy tried to best it and never could. And he thought it was the greatest match in wrestling history. But he hatched an idea, Lanny says, that the only way I can top it was right around 93-94 against Shawn Michaels and that he pitched to Vince and Pat the idea of a two year program that begins with Sean breaking a bottle of champagne over Randy's head and ending at WrestleMania with Randy retiring. I'm assuming that would be the WrestleMania in Hartford or maybe WrestleMania 12 in, in the following year. And that WWE creative shot it down and it eventually led to Randy jumping ship. To taking the Slim Jim promotion with him to WCW. Randy wanted to die as the man who had the two greatest matches in pro wrestling history. I love Lanny, but this could be Lanny spinning a tail in a certain direction. What's
1: the truth here, Bruce? Do you remember any of this? Well, yeah, I remember, the, I remember the time frame very well, and I remember being with Randy through a lot of that as well, too. And The funny thing about it was, You know, Randy may have said something to Lanny and other people with that desire to do so. Randy gave us also two sides. And what we were working towards with Randy was his retirement from the ring and to get him out of the ring because Randy didn't want to take bumps anymore. He didn't want to be on the road anymore. He wanted to be a part of creative. He wanted to be a part of the office and be in Stanford. He actually moved to Stanford for a period of time and it was that move where we were trying it's like you can't do both Randy you can't be a full-time talent and be in the office and do all the things that we need you to do here if that's what you want to do so the realization is well of what am I going to make compensation wise in the office versus what I'm going to make compensation wise as a talent Those are two different things as well. So a lot of it weighed in there. And look, I was a part of creative. It was only me, Vince, and Pat at the time. And when you're getting both sides, and I got it directly from Randy that, you know, he wanted to retire. He wanted to move on. Did he want to have a match maybe with Shawn Michaels? I'm sure he did. I'm sure that he felt that he would have that great match and probably could have. But I don't know. At least from my dealings with Randy, that that was something that aided him. Maybe, maybe that was the reason, and he just held it in because for us, it was all about I want to be behind the scenes. I want to be an announcer. I want to be in the creative. I want to help out in other ways and be that ambassador that we were always looking for. Um, and then he left. fair. That is very fair. I always wondered
0: though, what what that match could have looked like. Could they have had the classic? He can't put it past Sean. I think he could have carried him to a to an all timer there, Bruce. Could you at least could you at uh, least play the game with me and believe it with me?
1: Oh, I definitely think it would have been one of the greatest matches of all time, no doubt. I think Shawn Michaels is probably the best all round worker that I've ever seen.
0: Love it. All right, to close here, Bruce. We had Brett Hart on this podcast last month. Incredible interview. I mean, he was great. You couldn't have asked for anything more. He's so honest. He's always honest. He throws everybody under the bus. It's Bret Hart's style. It's what he does. He got into a little bit of hot water for comments, he said, about Owen Hart's widow. I'm not going to go down that road, but it came back to him. He sent us an email on the show and said, basically, F off. You guys are a bunch of dirtbags. Whatever. That's fine. But well, the Brett versus Sean debate is a constant podcast fodder of who was better. And we're Sean guys on the show, but you were behind the scenes. You know, maybe who was better, not just easier to work with, not just a guy who could get great matches out of guys who couldn't work, but you knew their creative mind too. Is there any way you'd be willing to throw your hat in the ring definitively on the Brett versus Sean debate? And don't let the fact that he told me to F off play into your decision at all.
1: No, I, I think that Sean is a better all round worker. He's, he's the better talker. He's a better promo, and he can have a match than he and everybody. The flaw as far as Brett, I think Brett is one of the greatest people I've ever seen. He he makes art when he's in the ring. The part that is lacking on Brett's part is the promo skills, and that is where Sean has him, and that's where Sean has the edge, and that just extra bit of cockiness. Uh, Brett Hart, when Brett was doing the uh, anti-USA stuff, Pro Canada, was, to me, some of the best work of of any talent I've ever seen in the business. So, you know, I think they're both great in their own right, but for me, the money's on Sean. Love it, love it. One-word answer to close,
0: Bruce, did Brett screw Brett? That's all I need, yes or no, one-word answer. They can hear the details in your podcast, something to wrestle with if they want to go deep. But what do you got for me?
1: Well, hey, man, head on over to BrucePritchard.com for all things Bruce Pritchard. You can get the podcast. We drop every single Friday at noon. And T-shirts, Patreon, every single thing. Our live event tickets, if you want to come see us, check it out at BrucePritchard.com. Don't put a T in my name. Put one on your back, my God.
0: Love it. Hey, com. that's still your thing, too, right? People can buy stuff there?
1: You got some other stuff over at Boston as well.
0: Save with Bruce. Is that still a thing? You got the the URLs on lockdown here.
1: Save, save with Bruce, man. You better believe it because we will save you money on a brand new home mortgage. Or if you want to just uh, reconcile some debt, consolidate some debt and uh, refinance. We can do it all. But you can get to every single bit of it at BrucePrichard.com, man, and then we'll take you there.
0: Love it! Hey, August eighteenth, Gramercy Theater, SummerSlam weekend in Brooklyn. Check out Bruce and Conrad. You guys are are really, really making it work with this with this two man show idea. Congratulations on that. Starcast All In weekend, Chicago, September first. That weekend, Bruce. Thank you for generosity of your time and for dealing with a schmuck like me who couldn't put the uh, the, the wires together and cross them and, and, and get you on the first time. Thank you so much for being a great a great foil for this. Bruce, we're big fans.
1: I can relate. I can relate. I'm technology challenged. It's all good. One message to close. Uh, no,
0: yeah. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you.
1: Thank you guys. Talk to you later.
0: Wow, special special thanks to Bruce Pritchard for going going deep with us here. Going going deep with the BC. I wish you could have been there. I wish you were here, but it didn't happen, Adam. Hopefully, we'll get this thing figured out. I mean, these these we really feel like two jerks here. We can't press the right button and connect phone calls. But, Adam, no one's been there like Bruce. No one tells funnier stories than Bruce. No one delivers it. There's a reason he's a podcast king. And hey, SummerSlam weekend when he's going to be there in Brooklyn with his two-man show with Conrad. I got to check one of those out one of these days because those guys have built a business off of this. And 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 they're pretty damn entertaining.
2: It's really impressive to see what they've done. And, and being candid, I did not – like I knew their show was extremely popular. But since I watched all this wrestling, I didn't necessarily think I needed to – relive it, even though there was some behind the scenes stuff. But I started watching them legitimately when they got on the WWE network. And I was like, wow, this is really entertaining. And since then, I have gone back and listened to their shows. And we don't mind promoting them because they, they don't c- compete directly with us. They're talking old school, you know, bringing you, you back behind the scenes. We're talking present day. Uh, but regardless of any of that, extremely entertaining person, uh, great show, something to wrestle with, uh, Bruce Pritchard. Um, and yeah, I'm just thrilled that he was able to join us this week. It's one of the best guests I think we've had to this point. Absolutely.
0: All right. Now we skipped Terror Zero. We got to get your DM slides because we care about the people, for the people, by the people. It's Kentucky Long, long Rifle time.
2: Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email?
0: <laughs> Can I have your attention, please? Oh, boy. Not this guy. <laughs>
1: Just received an email from the anonymous Raw General Manager, Michael Cole. Shut
0: it. Exactly. Get do Cole you think, off of our do, timeline, please. Do you think that
2: would get major heat today if they brought it back? If you brought back uh, the anonymous Heal. general manager, oh, I
0: thought you were going to say heel Cole, and we'd be hearing this.
2: You just got schooled
0: by Vintage Cole. <laughs> I would love a shout out <laughs> if they brought that back for like one episode even and did the uh, I
2: all think right. they did it for a raw anniversary. I don't I don't think it was raw 25, but I they think they did it for something. And it got booed very heavily. And Michael Cole did, too. All right. Sliding into our DMs this week. We're starting off with Mick Johnson at Mick Johnston. I'm sorry. J-O-H-N-S-T. That's an error
0: on my part, Mick Johnston. It's Johnson. Johnston, Whatever. It's all the same, right?
2: Whatever. Mick. Mick. Good first name. Good wrestling name. He's just thrilled that R-Truth got the full entrance on SmackDown and he knew that you would be popping huge. I can tell you I was popping huge because I love R-Truth. What about you?
0: Dude, I love. I love R-Truth. And I I hate that they don't use him enough because, by the way, when he's just doing like the dumb man routine, he's hilarious. That line about having to beat Carmella to get a title shot was perfectly delivered, even in the Royal Rumbles and the ladder matches when he does the I don't know where I'm at routine. Always great. But if he was just that, it'd be fine. It is what it is. The guy still delivers. Dude, he's 46 years old. He might have the best body, like, uh, you know, in terms of just being ripped and being fit. And although the jorts may have been a questionable look this week, that guy always brings it in the ring. And I feel like every two years he'll get six months where they care about him a little. I mean, WrestleMania 32, I think he was in that ladder match, or maybe it was 31 for the title. Once in a while he'll get a little shine, but I popped for the full entrance. It gets me every time how he throws in all those extra, like, woomp, there it is stuff. And the guy can actually go. I, am I crazy? I know I fall. I, I have a problem. I fall in love with these mid-carters, and I just want them to win and, and work so bad because I see the potential. Like, Tyler Breeze, my man, you're going nowhere, and I love you. I think they can do something with our truth whether it's comedic, whether it's a heel.
2: Tell me. Tell me I'm wrong. You're not. It, see, Tyler Breeze is ridiculous. Like, I know he's a very good worker, and, and I like him, and in NXT, blah, blah, blah. But R-Truth, I have always loved R-Truth. And there was that short period of time where he was actually in a WWE title match against John Cena, where we knew at the time there was no way they were putting the title on R-Truth, but you still had that sliver of hope that, like, holy crap, they might put the title on R-Truth, right? I love him. And there was a period of time where they were doing the stupid gimmick or something that was tangentially related to it that I didn't like and I thought it was getting a little ridiculous. But I loved everything I saw on Tuesday. When I saw him in the ring, he did his full complement of moves. He still did like the spin drop kick and all the nothing was reduced. And for that guy to be 46 years old doing that is ridiculous. I would love to see him get into a US title feud or or to actually do a team with Ty Dillinger, which I think would be very entertaining. The perfect truth. Um, wow. They could do something with those guys. And yeah, I, there's no reason those guys can't be like Heath Slater and Rhino on SmackDown. I right fully
0: now. agree. And by the way, in the perfect truth, uh Dillinger's Gennetti. let's be real. Let's just be real. Oh, of course.
2: Oh, come on. Of course. All right. uh, moving on here from black saber junior at TK CXP. That's a lot. Uh, of, that's
0: a lot of uh, non vowels there. Yeah, it is.
2: Uh, He says, I know right now there's almost too much wrestling to watch, and that is true, especially for this month. Uh, But when there's a lull, what are you guys watching on the WWE Network, excluding NXT and 205 Live? I'll start just, I watch a lot of the new things they produce. If there's a 24, a 365, um, a ride-along, I enjoy those very much. Table for three. The shows that they produce consistently and give us new episodes of, I tend to watch. And there's even a couple of hidden gems that I've uh, – when I've been really, really, really bored or when something's ended and I just wanted to see what else there was. I watched like The Rock's first ever match, Steve Austin at OVW, stuff like that.
0: I'm still – still, even though I've seen every episode and I go back to them, I'm still addicted to legends of wrestling. It wasn't even a WWE Network show. It was a WWE On Demand show from 10 years ago. You know that round table, They got all the legends on there, Kevin Nash, Jim Ross, Okerlund, all those guys – that show is as raw and real, I think, as anything on the network. I feel like today they wouldn't let that long of an episode go with that much people telling the truth of what really happened. And the cool full circle on that, Adam, and I sent you a message on this, is I was hanging out at the CBS Sports Satellite Office in Stanford, Connecticut yesterday in the same studio where they filmed that. I didn't know that there was a guy that worked in that building was like, Hey, you know, WWE used to work. It used to film here. That you ever hear of that show? I'm like, that's my show. That's my jam. Pretty cool to be there. I, I, I would have loved to have been part of that.
2: Absolutely. I think the wrapping it up, there is a lot of really good content on the network. If you look for it, they put it like the, the WWE ECW episodes. They just put out obviously something else to wrestle with. I just told you guys, I watched all of those this year. I really enjoyed those. Um there Look, just search through the stuff. You will find things. And if you, for some reason, have not watched NXT and you listen to the show, which that's probably a small percentage of people, watch the TakeOver Collection, every single one front to back, and you will enjoy yourselves. Uh, Coming up from Return of the Mac at Wolf Pack's own. He says, Brian, big fan. Wow, look at that. Big, big fan. I'm not seeing seeing Silver King big fan in there, but okay. Um, Please tell me you have watched the Walk with Elias documentary, On WWE Network. It's maybe some of the best stuff that WWE has ever made. It is hilarious. You have to watch it. I should have brought that up, too. That is hilarious. You have to watch it. That was
0: pretty damn good. I'll give him that. I wasn't sure what it was going to be like. Elias acted really. He did well in that in terms of acting real cocky and sort of not non self-aware. And the drops from all the other superstars who were interviewed, who either supported him or ripped his music, there was almost like a spinal tap element to that. And I think that's where they were going with that. But Adam, one of the centerpieces of that was Elias playing live Russell Marini weekend in New Orleans. And you and I knew about that in advance, heard a birdie talk about it, had a chance to go, and we turned it down. And We turned it down for good reason. We went to that Wrestle Supercard Indie show that had Omega, Tanahashi, I mean, had everybody in it. It was fantastic. We saw everybody, by the way, including our guy, Pentagon, that I I fell in love with, uh, somehow having never seen him before. I know. Send me the DMs. I know. I know. We all have holes. but. I do kind of wish we were there, at least for one song, to have seen Elias. uh, That was pretty – I like when they do random stuff like that.
2: It was cool. We did have VIP, not through WWE or anything, just separately, um, access for that. But we made the right decision, man. We saw Suzuki, Pentagon, Phoenix, Omega, Ibushi, Tanahashi –
0: what are you Jerry talking Lawler, about? Joey Ryan. I mean, there was there a was, there was a. Deep oh, we saw Jerry the King. <laughs> Juice Robinson. I mean, Tessa Blanchett. That was a deep ass card. It was like uh, about a seven hour show. You know, it was like, it's almost as long as SummerSlam, but that was great. Hey, there's a part
2: two of this question. There is. I was getting to it. Don't, don't you worry. Uh, he said, also another thing. This is still Return of the Mac. He wanted to touch on with you. He wants to know whether you think Mustafa Ali is a great value. And I think he means the Walmart generic brand version of Seth Rollins. They're almost the same person. Seth is just not on 205 Live.
0: I never thought of that. I never ever thought of that. Um, I mean, move setter? No, I mean Mustafa's more of a high fly. What's, I, you know what? I hate this, but the more I I talk about it, the more I throw it around. I, I'm almost making it work in my mind. Where do you? Where are you on this?
2: Uh, I think it's just the ring gear, and that's why he's drawing the comparison. I think Rollins' ring gear has become very video game esque which is what Mustafa Ali very much is. Um, they are similar body types, yes. Um, I think their movesets are vastly different. I think Ali is way more of a high flyer. You, you would never see, not that he couldn't, but you would never see Rollins do a move like uh, Ali's finisher. I'm forgetting what it's called off the top of my head. Um, uh, the inverted, so
0: 4 isn't it the 054 or
2: something? 054, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, know I, I think they're vastly different, but the ring gear is very similar, and I have had the thought, that their ring gear is too similar, but not them as performers. All right, last up here, from Chris at Sport, from from Chris, from Sports Doing Good, that's his name, Chris underscore SDG, I guess it's a company or a charity or something. Uh, why do you guys think WWE is so intent on always having three commentators on each show? I have nothing against Byron Saxon, but it was kind of refreshing just to see Phillips and Graves at the announcer's table while he was doing ring work with The Miz on Tuesday. By the way, Silver King saying, why don't you guys shut the F up and let me talk, was the funniest thing I've ever heard. And I'm so glad it became a soundbite. Thanks for reading, and keep up the good work. How about you guys shut the F up and let me talk for a minute, okay?
0: That was for you, Chris, at SDG. Uh, Why do they need three? That's a great question, because two really works. Jesse the Body Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. Put whatever else your other favorite two man was, even if it was Vince and Randy Savage. Uh, two.
2: That's what. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Two always
0: works better than three. It's crowded, especially in this era where they have three, but each has to play a, a role that doesn't really work for them for the most part. Um, some people say, well, they're just. You know, for equality purposes, they are They have three so they can put, you know, sometimes if, like they're doing the Mae Young Classic. So we're going to have, uh, you know, a female. They got to force a female in there like they did on, on Facebook or an African-American. I don't know about all that. You can.
2: OK, read- well, no, no. I do know all about it because it's not an accident. It's Michael Cole or, or a lead announcer, Corey Graves in the number two role or another white guy who's a color commentator and then a black dude.
0: Black x Every single yeah. one. Yeah, I guess I guess it's a formula that it is.
2: That Phil, it's dude. It would, they replaced they replaced Saxton with Otunga, Otunga with Booker, Booker with Coach.
0: And while okay, and while NXT right now with Moro and uh Percy Watson Percy and, and Nigel McGuinness. Yeah, wow, wow. I got you. I saved it's, you. It, we're only four hours into the show. Um, yeah, is great. The times we've seen him with two, and Moro is so overpowering as one that you really only need a guy to fill in the blanks. Yeah, if they went two, it would be great, but it would be even better, Adam, whether they had three or remember they had four for a while with Tom Phillips. Oh my God! uh, Yes, as long as they just let people go back to calling moves and calling the match and stop doing the other nonsense. Let me
2: let me fix it for them, okay? Cole and Corey Graves on Raw, um, Saxton and and Tom uh, Tom Phillips on SmackDown. Mauro Ronaldo and Percy Watson on NXT, and Nigel McGuinness and the other dude whose name I forget, Vic. on 20- Vic, right? who I like? No offense, Vic, I'm sorry. Um, on 205 Live and any other thing that they do, they can get those guys on. because Nigel's great. I'm not saying I don't like Nigel at all. He could do U.K also. Um, but you just don't need three dudes on everything. It's, and you don't need three dudes either. You know? There's women. Put them in roles. They, not, they can do a good job. I'm Beth
0: Phoenix, by the way. I know she was on the Facebook. Uh, yeah, she's not match. great. But she's
2: so the May Young, while we're taping this real quick, since we're talking announcers, they did announce the May Young announcers. It's Michael Cole, Renee Young, Beth Phoenix. What do you think about that?
0: I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Me neither. Renee Young's not good in that spot. I mean, we've already seen it in NXT. But hey, shout out to Renee Young. I'm a big fan of her. She always tells us on her show how to get a hold of Nick, even though he's not even on the show anymore. You
2: can find him on uh, Instagram and Twitter and slide into those DMs. Yeah, you know,
0: oh, thank you for your DM slides, people. We may never see Nick again on the show, and that's just fine. <laughs> Maybe we'll start Zip Recruiter. Get, we'll get on there. We'll get we'll get a new third person. And uh, special thanks again to Bruce Pritchard. Adam. Uh, fuel spot. My fuel spot is. The Matt Riddle rumors coming to WWE. SummerSlam weekend, fired up. If you believe what you read, it's happening. I know he just chipped the tip of his finger off with a chair in an indie hardcore match. But this guy, the former UFC fighter, the guy who loves to talk to Samson. Bitch, you know what I want. Yeah, I know what he wants. Get that guy in WWE. I know he's not going to skip NXT, and he shouldn't in theory, and he's great in the indie style, and he's going to be great on NXT if this is all true. But I think... Long term, he's so good he can go to the main roster right now, and he'd figure it out. I love this.
2: We'll talk talk NXT more in depth next week as we preview uh, NXT takeover. You know, heading into SummerSlam, but this Alistair Black, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Champa's Champa storyline—holy crap! Is it good? And PW Insider spoiler alert: you can skip you know the rest of the show if you don't want to be spoiled. PW Insider is reporting today. uh, This is Wednesday that Alistair Black will indeed miss takeover after getting a groin injury a legit real one uh, in a match with Tommaso Ciampa I have no idea what they are going to do I am excited to see what Triple H and company come up with but I was very much looking forward to that triple threat match
0: I am right with you but hey that is it for our show it is time to say goodbye
1: hey, no, say goodbye. goodbye goodbye say goodbye Bye. Okay, now get out of here well, right That's a now. little rough, Randy no, Yeah, but it is rough Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport
0: It is, it is uh, Adam, watch the G1 Finals this weekend A blocks, B blocks, and the final People out there, do the same It will invade you It will touch you You need it This is what you want You'll want to see so many best bouts Best bouts Yes, you will see that Enjoy Follow us on the Twitter At InThisCornerCBS Adam, do you have anything to say to the people as we exit?
2: Just two words
1: We out. (laughs)